Hi, I'm Liam O'Rourke, and this week Dixie Carter handed over 17,000 pages worth of business documents to Billy Corgan in response to his lawsuit. Corgan's lawyers weren't happy when half the pages consisted of the hashtag AskDixie questions, a printout of the LOL TNA page, and listener contributions to our Vince Russo's Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Let's hope Tammy Sitt stays out of jail long enough to send Dixie a Christmas ham when this lawsuit's finished. I'm Old Man Jones, and I'm slightly concerned that everything's gone a bit quiet on the Operation U-Tree front lately. So I'm starting a campaign, yet Grizzly Smith added to that list. You know he's guilty, I know he's guilty. And you can show your support for my campaign by following me on Twitter with the hashtag Grizzly for Prison. And I'm Kieran O'Rourke, and after last week's show, Jerry Von Kramer took it upon himself to call out not only me, but also the whole SEG crew, claiming that Shawn Michaels should not be on our Mount Rushmore. Some things you ought to know. I will never defend Shawn Michaels, because there is nothing to defend. And I will never team with G. John Chase. This is the panel for episode 101 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio, and you can hear us talk about favourite wrestlers that you soured on next. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 101 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke alongside Kieran O'Rourke. Afternoon. And Old Man Jones. I've just been reliably informed that uh, Grizzly Smith is actually dead. I have heard on the plus side he's voting Democratic in the upcoming election. (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous. Uh, We are back this week for what is actually, here's a little uh, real life note here, take two of this show, uh, to talk about favourite wrestlers that you've soured on over the years the bloom is off the rose is what this show was uh, subtitled by Tiger Rick of the UK fan form who the was... fur is off the monkey <laughs> if you will fairly self-explanatory individuals that you are high on at one point in time but uh, for whatever reason whether you uh, just became disenchanted with their abilities whether you think they changed and you didn't like what they became or if like you say the bloom just came off the rose and you just did not think in the end they were as good as you thought they once were now just a few uh, quick notes a bit of housekeeping before we get rolling here fellas uh, for those of you who haven't listened to our shows before you can can listen to our previous 100 episodes uh, at squaredcirclegazette.com uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash scgradio or subscribe to us on iTunes to make sure you never miss a show going forward notes for programming over the next couple of weeks we're very excited got a couple of uh, very fun ideas in the works here we've banged our heads together and we have come up with next week the first episode of a series called The Review <laughs> it is of course reviewing Vince Russo's television get it Get it? Uh, of course, we, we have much to choose from WCW, TNA, or any other company he's infected for the last 18 years. He is going to be uh, the subject of our review next week of April 10th, 2000. This, of course, being the Russo Bischoff uh, debut together on WCW Nitro. Often kind of considered a uh, very fun show. We're going to kind of give it our uh, opinion next week. And of course, in two weeks as well, we're going to have a very special feature on the death of TNA. But we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back for more details on that next week. But let's get now to uh, the bloomers off the rose here because there are many, many people to get to. You, our loyal listeners on Facebook and on all the forums, have given us your nominations. I'm going to kick it off first with the one that's, that kind of makes Carl's eye twitch a little bit here. 
Harmonic generates on the. Now U- that's just a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Harmonic generates on the UK fan form says there's only one real answer for this, and it's Mick Foley. Foley was one of my absolute favorites from the time a friend let me have a nice day so I could read the Hell in a Cell chapter. He was an all-time favorite. I bought both autobiographies and both novels. I genuinely missed him not being on the shows after Vince fired him in 2000. I was thrilled every time he came back, whether that was for something big like the Orton feud or that time in 2001 where he was just there to plug Foley as good. I even pre-ordered Hardcore Diaries. Then I read it. Then I gave it to the charity shop. That book really disillusioned me on Foley. Not just the Molina stuff, which undoubtedly crossed the line to creepy fucker, but the voice and the style that had seemed so personable and affable up to then had started to come across as whiny and put upon. He was less and less the Foley I loved on TV too. The flair feud basically became two out of shape guys bleeding at each other, and then turned into an angle about Molina. And didn't he also wrestle Carlito or Coach or, or Coach or someone around this time? Then he went to TNA, and I found I didn't care about him at all, had no wish to watch any of his matches, rolled my eyes when I heard he was their champion, and gave up a quarter the way through the sample chapter of Countdown to Lockdown. <laughs> I read Teton Brown twice, I fucking imported Scooter, I even finished Hardcore Diaries, and I couldn't even get through a sample chapter of this one. I don't want to blame the internet as well, but every time he does a blog or a Facebook post or a tweet, I go off him a little more. I want to like him again, but he doesn't half make it hard for that to happen. Is it Foley that's changed, or is he always like this and his on-screen, on-page persona hit the whiny, entitled Melina Perv within? By all accounts, his first stand-up tour was great. He was round the corner for me, and tickets were available, but I didn't go. Teenage me would have been right on the pre-order. VIP, front row, whatever. I'd have taken your off for a chance to hear Mick Foley in person. Say that again. I would have taken your arm off for a chance to hear Mick Foley in person and to meet him after? He could have all my money. But when it actually happened, post-Hardcore Diaries, post-TNA, post-Diminishing Return after Diminishing Return, I wasn't bothered. One of my one-time, all-time favourites right round the corner and I wasn't bothered and that makes me sad. Bloody Molina. Uh, the Iron Shake on the UK fan form says, In the late 90s to around 2004, the man could do no wrong. He felt like our guy. The fan through hard work, big bumps and cheap puns felt like one of us. Then International Showdown happened. Never meet your idols. A money-grabbing, rude man. Still, I put that down to a bad day. Come Universal Uproar, he's slagging off Power Slam magazine for knocking him and acting the cock. His run in TNA was horrible and he's the worst GM of all and proper creepy with the women. Just fuck off, Mick. Uh, there's more, however, folks. King of Sports on the UK fan form says, I adored WCW Cactus Jack and most things he did from there on. Uh, even helped me get into Pura with a very brief deathmatch clips WWF showed of him in Japan. Had he retired after the cell match with Triple H, it would have been perfect. Instead, he works WrestleMania way out of shape and from there on I gradually started to lose much of the respect I had for him. Could only cite his match with Orton at Backlash and the odd thing in TNA they were close to being worthy, but basically the damage had been done for me back in 2000. Subsequent stuff he may have done or said doesn't bother me, and other than reading occasional comments on here, I'm largely unaware of it. The crime, as with many wrestlers, was not knowing when to go. Young Steve on the FOW board says, Honestly, I'd probably go with Mick Foley. Not that he wasn't a great promo or extremely effective for the time, but his over-reliance on big crazy bumps is hard to enjoy in retrospect, knowing how he turned out. It's especially sad knowing he was already walking like an 80-year-old when he was still in his early 30s. He was my favourite wrestler during the Attitude Era, though, and his Hell in a Cell match with Taker is directly responsible for me getting into wrestling. Uh, Matt Thurlow on the Facebook page back this one up too. We're still going cold. <laughs> as much as you want to jump in. Great in all the gimmicks until probably the best retirement match ever. Uh, came back for Mania when he wasn't needed. Greatest commissioner, but every time he came back after that, it cheapened what was a special goodbye. Even the Orton match doesn't remove the pain of seeing his TNA run, and he's terrible in his current role and uh, Neil Robinson on the Facebook page says I think this show might drive Carl to drink 
too late for that. Uh, as I've already got a feeling that a lot of people are going to be saying Foley, but I'm no different. Uh, now, I'm a massive fan of Cactus Jack and the original Mankind. Doodle I understood, but was never a great fan of. But Collar and Time Mankind absolutely sucked. Terrible matches, awful comedy skits, that fucking sock. It dragged The Rock down to a shitty level when he was feuding with the Hollies, the Outlaws, and Al fucking Snow. I wanted Foley to just fuck off in late 99. Then, in January 2000, I'm watching SmackDown, and there's the absolutely amazing return to Cactus Jack. The two amazing matches with Triple H in a fantastic retirement run. I enjoyed his commissioner role in 2000, his fleeting return in 2003, but every single thing he's done since WrestleMania 22 has been complete hairy bollocks. That feud with Funk and Dreamer, poor Edge having to deal with that shit. That garbage feud with Flair, the sock Cobra nonsense at the Rumble, dancing with Brodus Clay at Raw 1000, and that's just the stuff on TV as Carl's eyes close in agony. <laughs> The thing that's put me off the most, though, is dirty, dirty, creepy old man act towards females. The way he used to name drop being friends with porn stars, his hardback love letter to Melina, who everyone hated except Foley. In fact, Foley was probably the only person in the locker room that she didn't fuck. His smashing the TV video in protest of WWE's booking of Daniel Bryan was pathetic, particularly because he was back taking a check from them 12 months later. He's still as scummy a shill as there is in wrestling these days. There's a 40-odd page thread on the UK fan forum about him and some people's personal experience of dealing with him that are amazing examples of what a shite ass he is. And now we're going to end up with his irritating as Hemorrhoid's daughter as an on-screen character in the next couple of years and the absolute twat Frank the Clown desperately trying to get on TV every chance he gets. I really just want the haggard, hairy man-sized ball sack to just fuck off, and I never thought I'd write that ten years ago. <sighs> Exhale. Carl, now's your chance. Well, by knowing the name of the clown, he's clearly taken the time to watch the show. <laughs> um, Everyone knows that ass wipe, yeah. though, unfortunately. I, I didn't know his name before you read it. I have no idea what the fuck. You're better off for it. You're better off for I, it, trust uh, me. <clears throat> There are... This is the guy, by the way, I just want to interject, who released a video of himself calling himself a professional wrestling expert and spelled wrestling wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you were, gentlemen, sorry. Mick Foley. He was, was, it, was he taking elocution lessons from Vice President Quayle? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be up political kick this week, aren't you, Carl? I am indeed. Um, look, there, there are legitimate... Um, points raised in, in many of the emails there. I'm not going to attempt to try and defend Holy Foley in the slightest. Or Have you watched any of that of interest? No. <laughs> no nor will I. <laughs> let's, let's, be, let's just be clear on that. Um, I'm not going to try and defend anything in, in TNA. The stuff with Flair in TNA was particularly painful. Mm. Putting the belt on him is a ridiculous notion, but again, this is TNA. Yes. World champion. Yeah. In 2009, I want to say. There or thereabouts. Yeah, just a completely ridiculous idea. Um, I think the scummiest shill might be a bit of a harsh, <laughs> harsh one. He's a complete and utter shill, don't get me wrong. But we've known that about Foley for years. He, he referenced that countless times in, in Have a Nice Day in the first book. So everyone knows he's a shill. And who in pro wrestling really isn't? You listen, listen to Cornette's podcast these days. You know, he's shilling things all the time. Austin on his podcast. Pretty much any wrestling podcast. I refuse to believe that all of them use Dollar Shave Club. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, So, I'll, I'll, you know, that, that being said, um, I will defend to my death his right to criticise the sham of a publication that is Power Slam. <laughs> a completely fraudulent from. rag. Which... Most weeks, because I, I 
I did read it from time to time. Most of their criticisms of Foley, in particular, tend to be about how he dressed. It was nothing to do with the, the content of his work. It was just his appearance. So fuck you, Power Slam. <laughs> um, I, I do understand the point about the, the, the sense of you know the law of diminishing returns. He, he, there are far too many returns, but I, I think you can point to almost any wrestler in that regard. There are notable exceptions, mm. but, but by and large, it tends to be the case. Um, it's just one of those um, things where, in retrospect, when you actually look back at it with, with, with full vision now, this period of time where he's been coming back and shilling is actually three times as long as his actual run in the company as an active wrestler. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's striking when you put it like, but you think about that in a lot of ways, like Austin's returns are probably longer than his run mm, at the top, yeah. and th things like that are, are quite jarring to hear. Um, as far as the GM stint goes, I think, yeah, he, he's, he's not doing too well in the role, but I don't think anybody would perform particularly well in that role because they are whoever it is basically there to be subservient to the authority and as most other baby faces on the roster have their nuts cut off mm. so yeah I'll, I'll grant that he's, he's not performing well in the role but oh, it's one hell of a difficult role to be in for anyone portraying a baby face um, most of the most of his WWF from like the, the returns I'll, I think up till 2006 I was absolutely fine with everything he did I thought everything was effective even the even up to mania with edge it quickly goes off the rails after that don't yeah. get me wrong but i think up to that point i've i've um i've not got a problem with it uh this this thing about their their personal interaction with with folly yeah and this Obviously, is something we're going to get to as a yeah, recurring theme throughout yeah. the show i i can't speak to that i've i've never met the man uh he won't return my phone calls <laughs> or my pen pen letters but you know <laughs> that's fine mick yeah you know, I, I i appreciate you busy um but when we when you raise this topic, Liam, I never really thought of it in the context of a personal level of Bloom going off. I just generally don't don't view wrestlers in in that sense. I mean, if if I was going to go down that route, I'd you know I wouldn't be a fan of Austin because of things he's done in his private life. Likewise, I'd probably never be complimentary in any sense to CM Punk. <laughs> which, which I know some some listeners will probably think, well, you never have. We've all we've all heard the trial, but. I'm sure if you go back far enough, I've complimented him at times. Yes. Which, you know, knowing or reading about what he's like in general, I would never do if, if that was sort of the line I wanted to take because by and large, he seems to be a complete prick. <laughs> but uh, I think I've... I think That's I've, what you really think. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've, I've, I've had my say there and uh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let someone else take up the, uh, the case, as it were. Well, this is it. And I want to get Kieran's thoughts on this because this is something that... Uh, I think it's interesting with Foley, and he's actually a good kind of um, kind of case study for this. I think <clears throat> Foley, more so than most wrestlers, kind of got over, or at least kind of drew the sympathy, because unlike the larger-than-life individuals that we were used to seeing on television, he seemed a little bit more real and say so, and personable, obviously with the book and everything like that. So when that personability kind of gets exposed in some cases, I think that's why it stands out a little bit more. Because you know, with Foley, more so than others, for why it seems a little bit kind of a uh, you know. Disenfranchising, mm. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> what do you think, Kieran? Um, well, when we first did this, this because uh, we're going to change up the order, I believe. Yes, yeah, so we're going to change up the but order. But this was the first one we did on the the, the first attempt. Yeah, we, uh, we tried this and we had technical problems. Yeah, I went off on one about people, you know, thinking they know someone when they're fucking celebrities. At the end yes, of, the day, of and course. They're, they're there to sell something. I've kind of, backed, I'm backtracked. I'm going to weaken my stance because I was 
Right. Over the last 48 hours, you've changed your mind. I, it was, to put into context, This is it is now middle of the afternoon on Saturday, whereas the first take was after a long day at work, and I was in a bad mood. Um, <laughs> to be offended by someone who you've never met and you don't know, you think, that's... It's understandable, but it's not something I pers- personally, you know, is on my uh, needle of uh, likability scale. We've talked about being glowingly at the time as being like the best setup guy for a period of time. The mega guys, obviously, you know, yeah, Austin, Rock, Trips, Trips, Orton too, yeah. Um, what, you know, what a great valuable guy to the company, and, and the selflessness in terms of doing jobs is what I think. You know, in the context of the wrestling industry, that gravitates towards yeah. people it's like oh that makes you a decent person actually it doesn't you're a pro actually yeah. it doesn't it's you probably you know your position like but you know protecting your position is also something you probably have to do if you're a star to a degree we're not going to into that right now uh, but Foles as Carl said his returns were fine but then what, but he's always when did he when did he tip to me now he's completely irrelevant to me yeah that's um, it f- a couple of things I think the TNA run absolutely in terms of personal pride in your legacy that pissed all over it and that said to me yeah, you won the cup, and I don't hate you. Yeah, don't knock off for taking a check, but at the same time, if you build your, I know your prestige or your your self-aggrandizing reputation on a bit of honour and stuff, then you go into TNA and it's like you're <laughs> shitting all over that. And it's okay, you take him for the check. That's fine, but don't pretend you're anything else. As Carl said, to be fair, he's always did. He's, he's never said he wasn't anything but a shill and trying to make money, and that it is a business. So hard to hate that. Likewise, he's always been a pervert because I think it's in his first book he talks about perving on Britney Spears when she's a schoolgirl. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, see. <laughs> that might be the second book. I can't remember is which it, one it is. Either way. Yeah. Either way. It's in print. Either way, <laughs> there's evidence. Um, and then, But now it's. Okay, so he hasn't offended me, but I just completely. Yeah, I just don't give a shit. And it's the, the, the promo, the, the fanta- that one time fantastic world class promo. Yeah. He does it. I think he does it every. He does it now as a fucking GM trying to rally Sheamus and Cesaro, Cesaro. the greatest superstars sorry. of our era. Sorry, Mick. I don't give a fuck. I don't believe you. And I know you're just doing your thing. Now you're doing your acts, and it's just yeah. And that's why just Lord Dimension turns oversaturation of Foley becoming a cliche of himself in many respects. Character promo. The hinge point on Foley before we move along here because I've been talking about Mick for a while. But I think in kind of summing it up, that heel turn. In 2006, when he did the whole ECW thing, that was like almost the moment where it's like, oh, he's just gonna, he will just, you know, do whatever. He, he will just do whatever for an angle. He's, yeah, he's not the, you know, this guy that we should hold above the standard of everybody else. He does do what everybody else does. And since then, I think that's when, to me, it's like everybody just stopped caring about Foley since that heel turn. I, I really think that. Uh, move on now to the next one on the list because this is a guy that got quite a few mentions. Um, the Burning Red on the UK fan forum mentions Dolph Ziggler. Uh, there's a guy who was put on great matches, deserved a big push as world champion, and then became dull. I don't know if he was slowing down, not getting better, or became disillusioned with wrestling and his position, but he just seemed like he wasn't putting the effort in anymore. I stopped caring about him and would have been happy to never see him again, which was a shame as he was one of my favourites and I was a big supporter of his push. But he might be turning that around again after that match at No Mercy with The Miz. Halfway through, I wanted him to win and not leave. I hope he keeps up this level of interest and emotional investment and not carry on the way he has for the past couple of years. I hope this isn't a one-off and he becomes stale again. Uh, he needs to stay awake from comedy. Uh, Gutenberg on Pro Wrestling Only says, I liked him from the first time he came in and said, Hi, I'm Dolph Ziggler, but I just found him to be so ridiculously stupid that it woke my interest. Uh, for a long time, I held him in really high regard, could not understand why he wouldn't reach that top level, and saw him as a legitimate Shawn Michaels successor. But then, over time, I just realised how stale he was. Yes, there's lots and lots of formulas in wrestling and everyone has their pattern, but I think he was the first one where it really soured him for me. 
Uh, along with his very inconsistent mic work, he fell really, really deep in my opinion. Although, I gotta admit, his work in the last couple of weeks and months has been really good, and at the, and at the minute, I'm uh, enjoying watching him and Miz go at it verbally and physically. Uh, it was mentioned on the F4W board, and I can't remember who by, that this, this almost seemed like a setup topic for everyone to dive in on Ziggler. Uh, so one of the more obvious ones, I suppose, that comes to mind in recent years, and Kieran, I think this was at the top of your list. Too. Yeah, number one guy for me. I love Dolph as a heel. Maybe loved uh, current work. I, I'm a big on potential. I'm like yeah. in, in, in all forms of life. Uh, I'm like I make a grooming joke. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, Dolph was like, wow, this guy could be something, man. He's as a heel act. He's cocky. He's, he bumps his ass off. He can make guys look good. He's he's, he's got an attitude. Um, and this and the, the face turn, I think fundamentally it was the right time, and it was something that kind of in a way had to be done mm. um, in terms of overall development. You can but, only hold it off so long. Exactly, so. but and and whether it's the long term is then to go back here at, at a bigger level, but then it happened and it exposed so much of his shortcomings yeah. that this guy is, yeah, melodramatic promo that doesn't grab doesn't grab me at all. Um, the selling he ever sells he's, that's it, he's consciously trying to be Shawn Michaels and he, yeah. did, and he doesn't realise what Shawn did great and you know everything else uh, yeah he'll, he'll take fucking hip tosses onto the stairs because it's there's a badge of honour or something I know that was a few years ago I remember him oh, doing yeah, that yeah, yeah, but yeah. it still rankles me and he was a heel at the time I think but the, yeah, the face stuff the ever selling the dying the promo the melodramatic promo not likeable at all um in terms of character, uh, yeah, dead stale. Needs to be healed. The stuff with the Miz, I was hoping he'd lose. <laughs> um, and when I'm cheering Miz, actually, I like Miz now. So yeah, Miz has been great for a while. Miz is great in the role, yeah. Um, but yeah, so de- definite. Um, it's hard to really point the finger at him. Maybe I mean, he's there is a pretentiousness about him that comes across. Again, it's 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 hard to criticise per- as a personal thing. He's you know always been doing this, trying to do his thing, get over and blah blah. Everyone's be doing that but this guy he just uh, as a baby face I just don't think he can put, put it together he's, he's not he's not likeable he's not right. likeable he's not engaging most of the time as a wrestler because he uh, instant ring because his, di- his style dies so quickly he's unbelievable to me mm. um, yeah he does a lot of good stuff but it's just uh, seen it before Dolph and um, I've, I've got no faith in you yeah I just think the, but the baby face thing killed him as soon as, soon as he turned baby face and it's just that thing of it, you, I can almost sympathise with him in the sense of he's he's clearly trying to maintain some of that heelishness at first that kind of made him endearing in the first place mm. that oh the heel that we can like kind of a thing but it, as a baby face it just comes off so fucking awful and combined with the nature that the way he bumps and sells is so Mr. Perfect Shawn Michaels trying to be that, that bumping heel but you can't really do the same thing as a baby face you know, straight away. You know, the first bump in the match and he's dead pretty mm-hmm. much is the way it is, right? It doesn't escalate or anything like that. So, yeah, I, th- I think that it, people find, and people found it kind of tough to believe in Dolph because as well, and this is going to be another recurring thing, the booking didn't fucking help in oh, the sense yeah. of he turns baby face and then loses the belt immediately and then never gets back to the same level. So yeah. people are just like, okay, so now you're in the middle where you've been, we've seen you for years. So that mm. didn't help either. Carl, I'm, I'm kind of interested. You and Dolph. You're, uh, you're absolutely right with regards to the booking. The, the stop start pushes don't don't do anyone any favours it was it was a particular Achilles heel for for Kofi as well yeah going back a few years back to the the Randy Orton programme that looked like it was going to go somewhere and then then quickly didn't it doesn't mm. do any favours for anyone Stupid. 
think you've all you, you've all you've you've both hit on the on the key points already for me. The the, the babyface turn is that uh, that hinge point, as, as you remarked. I think that's absolutely right. And and the selling, it is that sense of every move leads to immediate death, only for him to miraculously rise and, it, and run around. Like yeah, like yeah, chicken. yeah. It, it's it's just it's just not remotely believable. Is it babyface promos? They just they just don't seem genuine, do they? It is. I think the word you used was was melodramatic, Kieran. And and when it's that constantly, and it just comes across as phony, you know, it just just doesn't hook you. And you you just look at it and think this all just seems a bit disingenuous. Um, mm. And you're right. Then he did try to keep some of those more heelish elements for a time. But I always sit there and think, who really wants as, as a yeah, what what blokes want to cheer? For a bayface who comes out, turns his back to the camera, gyrates, and then ends his promos. We're talking about how he shows off. Oh, uh, <laughs> you missed out doing the worst shadow boxing since CM Punk. Well. And, and, the, and the hideous shadow boxing. Who? How about that Steel Panther phase he went through with his oh, back end? Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but who wants to. Not, yeah, no one's going to cheer for the good guy who, who acts like that, really, are they? That, they yeah. didn't with Shawn Michaels in 96, no, and they aren't going to in 2016. And he has just. Be- I, I'm, I'm glad that the Shawn Michaels point's been raised because, to me, at this point, he has just reached that element of a a Shawn Michaels parody. It mm. seems even the with the way he sells the tights, using the super kick as a finisher. I mean, I, I must admit, um, I'd heard people laud about the the Miz Ziggler match from from the last. Uh, can we still call them pay per views? I think so. From the last, they from, are from from the last. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> from, from their last big show, um, and I thought it was criminally overrated when I sat and watched really? it. I, I don't get wrong, I didn't think it was bad or anything like that. I'm not going to say it was horrible, but the level of praise it got, I just thought was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to spend the, you know, the entire time completely ragging on Dolph Ziggler. There, what there was a time where I, I thought quite highly of him. Ironically enough, as we've said, as a heel, when it all just seems a bit more genuine, because I think he probably is a bit of a, a cocky git in real life. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, you know. Plenty of people are, but you know, when when you want something to sort of not gravitate, you want something to sort of reach out, the, the TV sort of grab you and, and shake and get get your attention. It has to be believable, and Dolph as a heel is believable. Dolph as a babyface simply isn't, hmm. and because of that, over time, it you know. You lose interest, your interest wanes, and you're in the situation you are now. For all this talk of the the Miz stuff, what was he doing on the last smack last SmackDown? Wrestling the fucking Spirit Squad. Yeah, who, the squad's yeah, back. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Kenny. <laughs> Just in some ways, it's. I dare say we're going to get to people on this list that I'll just agree with completely and have no sympathy for sympathy for whatsoever I do have a little bit of sympathy with Dolph in the sense of those stop start pushes and him being cut off at the knees in that regard but uh, but yeah just his, his general shtick these days does nothing for me 
Alright, we'll move along here. Tiger Rick, who again we uh, coined this topic for us on the UK fan forum, says, I'm assuming Chris Benoit just gets his own wing for this, but his actual nomination is Jake Roberts. I used to think he was great, loved him as a kid, but when I first became a real smart wanker, I watched his <laughs> shoot interviews and convinced myself that he was the smartest guy in the business. I'm not alone on that one, but as I watch more and more stuff, particularly his hideous run in WCW, the shine went right off Jake. I don't think he ever had a good match. Was he a genius worker or just a lazy bastard? <laughs> I, I used I think the former and now I think the latter. He did the bare minimum and I'm not convinced he even had a second gear. Sure he understood how to get a rise out of the audience and perhaps they went home happy for years and years but sorry, but years and years of watching superlative workers has made me realise how utterly bland Jake was. Another pet peeve is the DDT. We've had nearly two decades of people moaning there isn't a finisher anymore, it's just a move. But here's the thing, it never was a finisher, because Jake only hit the thing on jobbers. When did he ever beat anyone else with it save for Martel in the blindfold match and those Survivor Series tags? Jake's promos were main events, but it's easy to see why he wasn't a draw. He never beat anyone and he never had a great match. That's not the be-all and end-all, but it's the difference between him and the real superstars. So Jake getting a nod here. <clears throat> Uh, interesting one. Um, I've always, I don't know, I've never, I like Jake, but I've never been blown away, blown away by, in terms of like a personal affinity towards mm. him. Um, and I've always had this nagging thing of, of hearing so many cliches about his psychology and the blah de blah and the you know, Claire is and blah de blah. And I've never, it's never, it's never yeah, it's Jake. He's like, he stood out to me as a kid because he had a snake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and a bit Randy Savage, and that was cool as fuck. But um, in terms of Jake, and I, I've just never, never really, I don't think so anyway. And unless I've just erased it from my memory, which is entirely possible. Yeah. I've just, yeah, it was more driven by cliches and stuff. So to be offended by him, okay, he's a, probably as a piece of shit as a human being. But again, <laughs> I've never met him, and he's never, you know, shit on my chest or whatever. So that's all cool. <laughs> I was going to say that uh, that lack of exposure was never a problem for Jake at indie shows. <laughs> <laughs> I am someone who felt that had a, a sort of a personal affinity f for Jake. I, as as a kid, I you know, the promos did did grab my attention because in an era where all your baby faces are screaming and shouting and flexing, looking in your direction, Hogan, um, you know that sort of that calmer, more deliberate promo stood out like a sore thumb, and I, I did find it quite quite a hook. Um, the the psychology aspect of it, I'm. I understand where you're coming from there because watching any Jake match back now, you, you, I can still appreciate the reaction he's getting from the crowd in the sense of you know, he's, he's getting these very good reactions whilst doing very little, mm. you know, which which many would argue is <laughs> the whole point the whole of wrestling, point, yeah. really. Um, but just as, as a sort of a, a form of enjoyment to watch the matches back, yeah, they, they don't stack up well at all. No. Um, Again, like we said before, I'm not going to sort of hold, hold the sort of personal incidents against him when we look at this topic. Um, when it comes to him being a draw, the Savage um, suffered '91 didn't as as artistically good as I thought it was. It, it, it didn't draw. Nah. Oh, the WCW stuff. You basically there for four weeks. <laughs> it tantamount to a month. Yeah, and he did do a good buy rate with their Sting at Halloween Havoc. Um, Surprisingly well, considering how fucking awful those paper bikes were at the time. Yeah, with the, with the good old Bill in charge. Oh, yeah, Cowboy Bill. Mr. Turning the Business Around, allegedly. Get off that top rope. <laughs> <laughs> Remove those mats. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's 
I'd have a hard time saying he wasn't a draw in the sense of he was never the top guy. So I don't I don't really feel I can sort of level that criticism because he he was in in some respects a a, a foley type of guy during the during the the eighties peak. He was he was a facilitator for your warriors and hogans of this world. You know he was he was maybe number three babyface. As opposed to number five in mid south. So um, yeah, I I did have a personal affinity for him, but I can see where people's yeah. I can see where people's criticisms of Jake would come from with regards to the in-ring stuff. Yeah, that that thing of for somebody who psychologically is supposed to be so advanced, not having that many matches that really surpassed expectations. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, you, you you know you you Rick Rude fifteen-minute draws of this world that could uh, out of yeah. TNA. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd I'd rather watch Greg Greg Valentine's fifteen-minute warm-up section than. Uh, <laughs> And sit through Rick Rude, Jake, Jake Roberts again. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun. Well, yeah, I, I can't really argue too much with that one. I think that uh, I, I, the thing is with Jake, and I don't know why this is nagging away at me, but part of it is, and God help it, the pro wrestling only message board was talking about Kurt Angle a lot recently, based off the back of our Mount Rushmore show, and how they think that Kurt Angle does not deserve the reputation that he has. And somebody made the comparison, and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, so forgive me, about the comparison between a Kurt Angle and a Jake Roberts, of Kurt Angle doing everything in his physical being to have a great match, and sometimes at the expense of selling, they think, compared to Jake, who does less, but gets great reactions in his matches, kind of a thing, and that kind of way up. And then granted, it's two completely different styles and two different types of psychology, I know, but it's just one of those interesting things where, with retrospect, I know whose matches I would rather go back and watch, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, so that, that criticism of Kurt falls in... It depends if you if you subscribe to the theory of the self-conscious epic... Yeah, that's another that's another PWO, which term. which which is not a sort of a a narrative or or a theory I really buy into as as, as a as a sort of a stick with which to beat wrestlers. Hmm. I, I don't think of it as just just my opinion. Dave, I, try I, entertain us. I I don't think it's a legitimate criticism to have of people in in wrestling matches. Uh, yeah, I just very quickly on that one. The self what again? Self conscious epic. These matches that are, are deliberately trying too hard, maybe or too obviously, to push the buttons in a certain way. Oh right, okay. Which Raven laughs at, by the way. Okay, that's the whole point. But anyway. yeah, I was I was going to ask for a differentiation between that and the perceived Jake psychology of getting as much as you can out of doing as little as possible there is no right and wrong in wrestling it's does it work or doesn't it work to yes. a different audience that's all this fucking pretentious bullshit so no we move along now to another one that kind of surprised me a little bit maybe it shouldn't have uh, Suki Singh on the Facebook page says like I'll go with The Rock uh, thought he was the bollocks up until 2003 loved Hollywood Rock and then when he came back in 2011 he was so damn childish everything about him screamed pre-written and he had no fire anymore back in his prime he used random catchphrases that organically got over in 2011 it seemed his sole goal was to get some bollocks catchphrases over the yabba dabba chants from Wrestlemania 27 kung pao bitch and boots the asses just pure shite Cena made him look like a right tosser in all of those promos backing this opinion up is Heyman on TPWW form who says it pains me to say this but it's the rock for me I absolutely love the guy from 98 to 2004 as both heel and face and even liked him when he returned in 2011 when he was involved with Miss and Cena but his 2002 to 2014 feud with Cena kind of soured me on him his digs at Cena were way too personal and The Rock genuinely came across as a try hard douche going through a midlife crisis to me Dwayne did come across as a little holier than thou in his approach and I just didn't love it like I did in 1999 as is my case with Homer Simpson well I, I, I get the impression that uh, Kieran might have a bit more sort of 
fire in the belly for uh, for this one when it gets to him. So I'll, I'll be I'll be brief with this. Um, I disagree. I disagree. Com- well, I'll say completely. Um, I think I've spoken before about Rock's promos and how they didn't necessarily sort of reach me in a way they reached others. I was always more of an Austin fan because it, 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 when it comes to those two, and I do think there was sometimes a sort of the, the, the catchphrases were maybe a little bit too comedic for me, if, that, if that's the right way to phrase it. But I have a hard time seeing how anyone could be a fan of Rock's promo style at his at his peak as a full time performer on his return in two thousand and three, and then not like it in two thousand and eleven, because I don't th- unless you, you unless your argument is they haven't evolved enough, that would be possibly one way of l- looking at it. But I think if you really liked that style at the time, I don't see where the criticism would come from of it by the time you get to two thousand and eleven. I don't think Cena made him look like a chump <laughs> in those promos at all. And I personally enjoyed Yabba Dabba Bitch. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't care for the Yabba Dabba chance afterwards, but the promo leading up to it, I had no problem with. I just. I, I don't. I don't feel a criticism of the style is a particularly substant, substantive one for me. Oh, okay, Kieran, you 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 seem opposed. This suggestion is incorrect. <laughs> I thought nothing could be right and wrong in wrestling, Kieran. This suggestion is <laughs> incorrect. Um, in terms of the promos, I understand if in general, because to call them promos, and to call Rock a promo in general, is something that's kind of always rankled me because he doesn't promote anything apart from, he doesn't even promote himself, he just, he just looks ace with what he does. And that promotes himself. Yeah, uh, it's the semantics of the term promo just sometimes. <laughs> I need to write down what does he, what did Rock ever promote? I can't even remember him saying you know, promoting a, sh- a show to say this is you know this is going to be the match I'm going to get blah, blah blah. He probably did, but it was so irrelevant compared because it was Rock being Rock. He was he was what was promoted this grandeur of this godlike morsel that is gracing <laughs> this planet. I've never heard anything so so like one sided or romantic. well, um. <laughs> Truth hurts sometimes. I guess. Yeah, um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. The, the, the promo that's I cannot him when he that. came back. When he came back on Valentine's Day 2011, and he just fucking had like it was, like, it was such an awesome promo. The whole thing, you know, this the the fruity pebbles one, and uh, and just knocking everybody. It was just so great. No, he wasn't just nostalgia seeing him back. He just carried himself so well, and he always does. It's like I, again, I I see the point in to a degree of him coming back, and obviously because he's in that kind of part-time role or whatever. If you got a grievance with Rock being in the main event of Mania, if you want, if you if you want things to evolve, whatever. But to me, it's like Rock just brings something that's so different, and he's so great, and he's got so much charisma that I just personally, again, personally disagree with this one. I can't the the thing I the con the, the concept of the catchphrase laden promo is something it's a, a, before Rock with Austin as well before him, but it's. That's there's a lot to be said about that in general about how that's trying to be replicated up till still today. Yeah. But to, sparkle crotch. But to level that at Rock, who? <laughs> but to level that at Rock, who? Thing is, yeah, if Rock said sparkle crotch, he'd say it in a way that was cool. And for that one time when he said it, it wasn't cringeworthy. Yeah. Anyone else does it, and as Seth Rollins does, as it. we've seen with Cena over the years, which was the, the foundation of a lot of angst towards him. Other people do it, and they're not cool. And it's forced. You just don't do it because they're not the rock. 
Mm. So, but anytime Rock did one of those things, one off, you kind of the only thing you say is, "Oh God, that's that's something the crowd they're going to try and push to the crowd now." Bad well like Kung Pai bitch or whatever. Yeah. Who's two asses? But when Rock does something on the, just you know, at the moment, it's never cringeworthy because it's the fucking Rock and he's godlike, and he's going to be president one day. Trust me. Oh yeah. Trust me. No, I said this. Mind. I say these things. They come true. <laughs> Moving along now to uh, Steve Bachenik on the Facebook page who says, For me, the answer is Sting. Uh, being from Baltimore, I witnessed much of Sting's early career. Great look, high energy, strength, uh, and could go for 45 to 60 minutes with guys like Flair. The problems really began during his first world title reign when WCW overprotected him and did not give him any legit challenges. His reign was perceived as weak, and in all honesty, he never did get the signature title reign that all the greats do. When he switched gimmicks, they held him out of action for over a year and took away his charisma. And then he came back, the abomination that was Stargate. Uh, the major event they built up for a year in what was supposed to be the crowning achievement for the company, the powers that be wet the bed. For a career that held the promise that Stings did, I can't help but feel disappointed. And I good friend Joe Von Kramer on Pro Wrestling Only says, my <laughs> honest answer for this is Sting. Uh, before I started the Where the Big Boys Play podcast, uh, in my mind, Sting was like the ultimate main eventer, everything that Hulk Hogan could have been but wasn't. The process of watching through 1988 to 1993 in chronological order has had the effect of exposing and highlighting a lot of his flaws during that time frame. He gets hot in 1988, so naturally they book him into the main event, but Sting consistently seems like a rabbit in the headlights who could not take hold of his own overness. He flounders in the spotlight and, at least to me, is completely overshadowed by Lex Luger, who is absolutely fantastic in the same 88 to 1990 time frame. And uh, it felt a bit more natural fit eventually to take over from Flair. Sting's 1990 run isn't helped by booking, see the black scorpion, but he's terribly disappointing for me through all of it. And then he ends up getting injured in early 91. His performances in 92 get a lot better, and obviously the Vader feud is fantastic, but over the past five years, I don't think I've had quite so much stock falling a guy that I have for Sting. So, uh, Sting. Um... Yeah, when it comes to the '90s booking, uh, you know, Oli must have been on crack or something for the Black Scorpion. Oh, he's just a cheap bastard. He yeah. didn't want to do anything. He was useless. He really was. <laughs> That's how you really feel, Liam. Oh, the, oh I can get. Uh, trust me. There's 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 a big Oli rant one day that there's, I'll, there's, I'll there's, bust out. There's a podcast we could have on Oli. Oh one day. God. Um, the shit that he brought in in 1990 and the people that he downplayed because he was trying to, you know, oh, he's fucking useless. Fucking useless. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw you rich dude on a pay per view in 1990 for God's sake. Maybe Jim Barnett. Very quickly, just go back to Foley. Yeah, working with fucking Tommy Dreamer. Fuck that noise. Yeah, that's, that's where that's where, that's where that's the story came yeah. off the rose. Yeah. Yeah. I blame Funk more for that personally. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to Sting's, a difficult one for me because I. I don't think I ever really brought into Sting. I think I, I may have mentioned on previous podcasts about how I'm not. Yeah, you've you got a bit I'm, of an aversion I'm, to I'm not the, the world's. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm not the. Uh, I'm not the biggest stinger in the world. Um, yeah, as much as I, I did enjoy the feud with Vader. Um, never really cared for uh, Crow knockoff. You can see why other people did, but it just yeah never never really appealed to me. Um, Never thought his promos were, were that great. And when it comes to a lot of his in-rings, I think that's overplayed. Really? I, I do think it's overplayed. I mean, I, not, that he's, not that he's bad as such, but it's like, it's like oh, he, I, think, I think it's Flair who, who, who used the line. I'm sort of paraphrasing here a bit. I'm sure someone probably knows the, the line verbatim. It's the sense of he was our ultimate warrior. 
but he was an ultimate warrior who could really work. Mm, you know what? Late nineties Sting was pretty damn lazy. Oh, very lazy. Pretty damn lazy, and you know he had plenty of stinkers in his in his early years. I mean, it, there were some good matches in there, but I think this notion of him being a consistently top performer is is really a fallacy. Uh, I mean, to use a, a sort of a prime example, which I know will get me some criticism, I'm certain of it. His match with Flair at the first Clash of Champions. It's not a bad match by any stretch. It's very it, it's yeah, it's good. I'll say. But it's it's held up as some sort of five star classic, and I just really don't think it is. Why is that? I just, I think because I do like that match quite a lot. I I think is that the forty five minutes. Yeah, forty five minutes. I I think there's there's elements of repetition in there that I that I don't enjoy, and I think Sting is at that time clearly not ready for it. Hmm. I think he's he, and admittedly this is Ric Flair, obviously, but but he's carried to such an extent. I almost feel like Flair is having to literally sort of position him in places it, and things. It doesn't. Is it the criticism some have about the, the bulldog in SummerSlam where it's like it, with Brett, where people are like now they know that Brett kind of carried him. You can kind of see it if you're looking for it. Whereas in this case, you're you're kind of laying that a foundation at Sting's feet too, having to be literally in some places carried around the ring so that Flair can do what he wants. Yeah, but I but I ne- I'd never gone into it with that with that notion. The first time I watched that match. I I hadn't heard any sort of specifics about it. I'd just been told it was a really good match, and I watched it. it it's good, but I think it's overrated. Hmm. Which, admit it, I'm probably I'll probably be accused of bias here because it's the bulldog. But I, I think I've been fairly level-headed in my bulldog remarks in the past. Whereas I watch Brett and Bulldog, and I do think that holds up. Yeah, there are some some clear moments where Bulldog's not not really at the races, but in terms of a match, I think there's a sense of a flow there. That I just don't get from Sting and Flair. The crowd's really hot for the whole thing, though. You know, that's kind of one of the things that really kind of appeals to me is the fact that Flair can get them up and keep them up where he wants them for so long, and then still peak at the end. Yeah, I suppose. And, and I think Ross Ross is great on commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's no, great. No, no shocker there. I, I just think it's a bit overrated. Sting, personally, Sting in general. I, I'm keen to see uh, in terms of looking back because I was a Sting fan as a, as a kid. Certainly were. I was a big Sting fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that before. My uh, yeah, let's not talk about that again. <laughs> so go back and listen to that in the archives. My ring name as a kid that Kieran gave me. Uh, so anyway, in retrospect, I wonder if this is almost one of the ones where the, the criticism I have about Taker, where I think that he's a guy that works the level of his opponent, I think kind of comes into play with Sting during that <clears throat> early, the late eighties, early nineties. There were times when Sting looks awesome. The match with him and Nikita Koloff against uh, Arn and Tully from the Bash. I love that match, and Sting looks awesome. But it's Arn and Tully. Sting flounders when he's got really nothing to work with in, in 1990, 91, until he gets put with a da- against the Dangerous Alliance, in which case he, he's, he's great. He, he seems like he had that fire and he's got some good opposition. Cactus comes in, he has a good match with Cactus. Vader comes in, great matches with Vader. And then, you know, Hogan comes in and he's wrestling Big Bubba and Avalanche and they're the shits. You know, it's like, and then, and then of course, like we say, I think, I think that the potential with Sting as a great in ring performer dies off quite drastically in 96 from there, from there on he never really kind of does anything that kind of grabs my attention but I, I, see, I see what he's saying the general idea of kind of Sting being in this you know this, this guy that really should but that was kind of the story of Sting's career though you know he was always the guy that they wanted to succeed at that level but never really did 
and just just before we I hand over to to Kieran here, let's put some of this TNA knock on sting as well. Everyone else gets it. He <laughs> he doesn't deserve to be above the fray there. But he did do some of his better promo work later in his career, which is kind of like funny, yeah, kind of Goldberg thing we saw this last week on Raw, where he was never considered a great promo, at least in my eyes. And then all of a sudden he comes back and says, "Wow, I don't know if the standards just fallen so far. I think <laughs> just had a long time to I, think." I think that may be part of it. Yeah, uh, the the overly scripted nature of promos these days. When you have someone like Goldberg come in, they're not going to write a promo for him. Well, they can write a promo for him, but Goldberg's not going to. Not going. Yeah. He's not going to perform the verbatim, is it? The script to do with their Scott Hall's contract. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, he he may hit the bullet points they want him to, like you know, a you know date, name of show in Canada, what you know, whatever those sorts of bullet points. He may take those on board. But he's not going to listen to the rest of the crap they try and they try and shovel towards him. So when he does cut whatever promo he decides to cut, and, and, and others do it, like Heyman, for example, the authenticity is clear for all to see because of how it contrasts with every other promo you hear every week. Sparkle crotch. <laughs> uh, yeah, never a huge Sting fan myself. Yeah. Um, never disliked the guy. Just kind of uh, apathetic a bit towards him. Maybe again, time frame that I kind of. Uh, was immersive sting was obviously wasn't during the year eighty nine ascension kind of thing. Yeah. Deliver that. So it's all it's never blown away. I mean I love, absolutely love there's nothing better for me than watching uh, Flair and Sting in the ring though and then Sting's doing his thing and then Sting eventually when he hits the no sell point and Flair's just chopping the, away. The Sting no sell and, and and the combat is just fucking I could watch that day in, day out. I love it. Um but there isn't always an element an element of it's Flair and okay, Sting's kind of just standing there and he's not doing anything <laughs> and it's Flair's the one reacting so there's an element to that promos I can't think of one <laughs> that's good energy but never really great content for Sting mm. yeah never um, never I'd never accuse him of being a terrible promo but at I'd, times he wasn't great but um, but at this, by the same token there were never any at the other end of the spectrum either mm. that really stood out yeah Sting for me as a kid was the the guy off the wrestling show who I watched on a Saturday afternoon because the other one wasn't on TV <laughs> <laughs> who was on the box for the ring I bought because the WBF one was out of stock at Argos <laughs> and it had a fucking launch pad on the top and you couldn't move his arms yeah um, and still cage and he was a <laughs> cage yeah good point um, and he was a lot like Ultimate Warrior with not such a good body looking a bit more like an average Joe even though he wasn't yeah. but like in the context compared to Warrior exactly um, so that's why initially you never, I never gravitated towards him maybe um, he was just, just Sting didn't really do much to me just, he's just Sting <laughs> what do you think about the criticism and I quite like it here the uh, the comparison to Luger because looking back and granted like I wasn't watching 89 WCW at the time but looking back I do prefer Luger really I really do I, I think and granted he's a heel and he's in there with guys like Pillman and Steamboat and, F- and Flair so like you know be fair here both sides of the, the spectrum but Luger as a heel in 89 I, I've got such a fondness for, for douchey Lex <laughs> we'll move along now to another one that got quite a few uh, suggestions on the various message boards we'll read a couple of the big ones here Otto Demvons on the UK fan forum says my choice is Rey Mysterio he was my guy from his debut in 2002 I loved his matches colourful outfits and the way he was so watchable whether it was in singles or in tags it's a bit of a cliche but the Smackdown 6 were amazing while they were around and Rey did more than most uh, to give that period the praise it deserves then November 
November 2005 came, Eddie Guerrero died, and seemingly overnight, Rey was elevated to a position way beyond this station and was set on the path to a world title. Probably this time, uh, during this time, there are numerous moments where I remember watching Rey and feeling sicker than Kieran probably does after a night on the shite. Um, <laughs> the Royal Rumble entrance in the Cadillac. Uh, robbing Eddie's moves, robbing Eddie's mannerisms, anytime Charu and Vicky interacted with him, getting a title shot because Teddy Long feels sorry for him after no way out. <laughs> Hammy <laughs> acting all the way through this phase, but in particular upon receiving the news of said title shot. He then won a nine minute match, during which he was booed unmercifully uh, to start his title reign in the worst possible way. I normally get a cob on when friends don't cheer who they're supposed to, but I couldn't blame the Chicago crowd at Mania 22. Ray was a proper sap. He then lost non-title matches to the great Carly to further demonstrate his wankness and look like an <laughs> idiot. Mercifully, he lost the belt to King Booker and everyone could forget about the whole thing. To his credit, he managed to redeem himself in the years since and I don't hate him anymore. But 2005-06 Ray can get in the sea for how I was made to feel about someone who was once my absolute favourite. SJ5522 on the UK fan forum says Ray is a good shout. I was going through the rumbles before this year's one and 2006 is by far the worst of the decade. The fucking oh Eddie shakes fist was utterly cringeworthy even to a 13 year old at the time and completely insulting after being genuinely devastated by the death of my first proper wrestling hero. I had hardly come to expect great class from that era of WWE but I couldn't believe the barrel scraping depths they were playing with here. Ray, the ultimate underdog surviving an entire rumble from the beginning and getting a title shot in Chicago should be a winner all day long but they went about it in the most classless way and it really stained his career from that point on. <laughs> He had good stuff after that, like the Jericho and Punk programs and matches, but certain pay-per-view crowds never really took to him again from that point. It was sad, really, and then his last activity in the E, I remember, was him getting fucking obliterated by the crowd after being number 30 in the year 2014 Rumble rather than Daniel Bryan. <laughs> yeah, that was a real tough spot for the guy. Um, I think that um, that sort of 05, 06 run for, for Ray's is a real sort of blot on the copybook um, <laughs> because it is so tasty. I think we've made the remark before about it. You know, Eddie Guerrero's soul effectively goes into Rey Mysterio and takes over. <laughs> it, it, it would seem the, yeah. the way he acted, and, and but I, I can't. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, Eddie's such a heel. He's possessed well, someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, well, bearing in stolen Rey Mysterio. Be, bearing in mind, Vince fought God. I dare say if someone well, if someone had suggested it in a creative meeting, they may have gone with it at that point. They were just that tasteless. Yeah. Um, I, we can't put all the knock on Ray for that though. A lot of that does come from from the company directives, yeah. and it, it's abs it's absolutely shameful. Um, and yeah, that that Chicago crowd were they weren't they weren't necessarily baying for Ray's blood as such, but it was a case of I think they, they were they were booing they were booing him anytime he was on offense. True, but I think it was. To me, I always got it as that sense of it wasn't a personal knock on Ray. It was more a distaste to everything oh, that yeah. had gone before it, and the and fact he gets the brunt, and, and the notion of we really want Angle to still be the champion. <laughs> we don't want Ray. Yeah. Um, Ray's a difficult one overall for me to judge because I've always been very critical of Mysterio for for one point in particular, which is the mask. Yes, the mask. Yes, it's the mask. Come if on, God. no, 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 no. No, if we are going to have Mick Foley, Sir, 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 Sir Michael Francis Foley, <laughs> knocked for being a shill, I'll tell you what, 
Ray dropped that mask for the promise of more money and a push in WCW, regardless of the heritage, and he soon put it back on when there was more money to be made from selling masks when he got to the E. How dare you try and make money, you bastard. It's absolutely fine. But what's Clearly good, not. But what's, <laughs> but, what's, but what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And for God's sake, don't insult my intelligence by pretending we've never seen your face in 2002. <laughs> we all saw it. Bobby Heenan was right, you look like a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> anyway, someone else can have a go oh, now. Okay, <laughs> Bloom being off the rails. I, I think I think Ray's getting a bit of a raw deal here. I really do. Don't I... get me wrong. Ray Mysterio is fucking outstanding, and and I'm not saying that that whole thing with Eddie Guerrero in 2005 exactly grabbed me by the pussy, but I will say. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, he had this series with Jericho, and I thought those matches were outstanding. Uh, I'm not going to level anything at Ray Ray. I mean, the hokey promos is a fair criticism. Uh, hokey promos, yeah, but he's a shit promo, and he's doing what he's told. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy. He's <laughs> doing what he's told. He lost the mask because he did as he's told. He did the Eddie stuff because he was doing as he was told. I fucking it drove me insane when he did the shoulder shake. I wanted oh, to rip yeah. his shoulders off and pull him over the head. And you know what, Ray? I think I probably could. Anyway. <laughs> I, uh, but yeah, that just drove me insane. I don't put it on him though, and yeah. he, he was so good. Jesus fucking Christ, he was amazing when it, at his best. This I don't put it. This is on. This is on the company. I don't put it on Ray. I'd agree with that one. Uh, Lord of the Drums on F4W says Matt Hardy around 2010 when he started losing his <laughs> started losing his mind and claiming he should be a world champion in WWE. I kind of got sick of him. Annoyed on TPWW forums here says Matt Hardy seemed like a breath of normal in a land of giants. Well, he seemed like a normal-sized guy compared to the giants around him. And he always did quite well for himself and looked really proactive out there. I always thought of him as the better Hardy. It was clear Jeff was the more charismatic of the two, but I always did like those side players. It was around 2010 that I realised he and Christian were basically doing the same We're those tag team guys from 2000, you remember, please cheer us gimmick. That I realised just how little I gave a shit. It was gone. I wanted things to be rekindled, but everyone was pointing out how fat he was getting. He's not getting that fat, the child with me would scream, but yes he was. He would eventually leave. Maybe he would get to change things up on his own. Maybe he'd cut his hair, act his age, get some new pants, and maybe learn a new hole, as JR would say. He got some dreads and Tyler Rex started trending on Twitter, and now we're here with broken Matt Hardy. Can we please talk about this for a bit? You guys revisit history a lot, so your contemporary views don't get out there that much. I think that's very wise, because the amount of shit one catches for talking about how repulsive, disgusting, ineffective, offensive, obscene, obtrusive, how, how obsolete this atrocious piece of shit gimmick is baffles me, and makes me think that wrestling fans are a big part of the problems with modern wrestling, going beyond simple this is awesome chants. People like this shit. It's supposed to be bad. At least it's different. Chris Jericho likes it. It popped a rating once. Yeah, TNA's ratings went up by 10%. That just means Jeff's kids watched. Uncle Matt's trying this week, kids. I even tried to watch it to see if there was maybe some charm. Abyss or Crazy Steve fought with Jeff in a pool as Matt caught magic in his mouth. I was done. I was not fucking charmed. Fuck Broken Matt. It's making me hate the Hardy Boys retroactively for filling these men's minds with the idea that they could do anything and it would be brilliant and catch on like Lita in a Mexican locker room. <laughs> I honestly believe there is still money in Jeff. If he came back to the WWE, he'd get a pop. Could have an eye uh, kept on him, work a part-time schedule and move merchandise. Matt Hardy? Well, he'd get some pops and occasionally team with Jeff. Uh, there are people telling me they want to see Broken Matt in the WWE. They want to hear that accent cut promos on Bray Wyatt. And then they wonder why no one fucking watches in 2016. I don't like Lucha Underground, but it exists in its own universe as sort of a Mortal Kombat style fighting game come to life. Glacier might have worked in Lucha Underground, but there's a reason Glacier didn't work in WCW, and there's a reason why Broken Matt and his backyard horseshit doesn't work in professional wrestling. Matt Hardy won't die, but I fuck, I wish TNA would. <laughs> <laughs> 
Who wants to start here, boys? <laughs> I'm Mike's by me. Noid, good stuff. So. I agree with everything the Noids have just said. <laughs> 100. Apart from even even the bit about back in the day. Okay, Jeff was the charismatic one, but he seemed a little slow. And it was, <laughs> so there was kind of this rep, maybe that, that, that Matt was the brains of the operation. <laughs> um, High praise. Unfortunately, we found out those brains are made of shit. Oh. Um, I just yeah, this shit now. I, okay, let's go back, shall we? Yes. When the edge stuff went down, there was yeah. Come on, Matt. Fucking be a man. Sort this shit out. And yeah. It was cool. It's edgy. It had a realism to it. And he uh, had a lot of goodwill, not just based on the Hardy yes. boys, but again, that whole version one thing, there was, there was a period where it felt like he was being underused. During the, yeah, during the Hardys itself, it was, I was always Jeff. Yeah, me too. Matt was, yeah, Matt was Matt's support. But Matt, Matt surprised me with he the version one stuff, you know? Matty Gennetti. And, um, oh. <laughs> the, yeah, the V1 stuff was entertaining. It was kind of in the same way, in a different, in the same kind of uh, thing as the, the Miz now. He's like in, yeah. a, in an offensive uh, mid lower to mid card position it can be entertaining that's, that's good, good good stuff um, but fucking hell no uh, after that it, it just, when is it, it you know the, the exposure the, the bullshit that it comes out with and this okay this stuff now fucking no right I don't give a shit if it's, <laughs> if it's oh it's funny no the company's dead it's not drawing a single penny it's done on a fucking camcorder in their fucking trailer park no, Matthew, no. So you're not a big fan of the uh, the wackiness and the zany television and Vanguard 1 spraying mist in, in people's eyes? and It's something I will watch on my phone as a YouTube clip while I'm taking a shit. <laughs> as a... I can't even see shit, man. Exactly, that's funny, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll say, Jeff is there. <laughs> but it's just, ah, oh, it's just, it just offends my, it offends my sensibilities and fundamental beliefs of what should be on a Harrison show. Yeah. Although there's no right and wrong, this shit is wrong. <laughs> this is the thing though, right? Because when, when they first did the, 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 the big angle that really kind of caught everyone's attention was that fucking horrible contract signing and Matt's ring that we, we saw and we watched it together and we just all watched it with our jaws on the floor like, this is the worst shit we've ever seen. This is awful. This is absolutely hideous. And now it's getting a reputation as being good because it's awful. Yeah, it's just... It falls into that category of, of things that you wouldn't want your friends who are non-wrestling yeah. fans to see you watching. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't even get me started on this notion that it's so bad it's good. What a pathetic argument. <laughs> What absolute horseshit. Yeah, it's so bad, it's good. It, you know what it's not good for? As Kieran pointed out, it's not good for TNA. It's not good for Billy Corgan. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good for the Fight Network. And it's not good for Aerolux. I'm still not sure what Aerolux even do, apart from hire white supremacists. The, the difference I have t to, to yourselves is that I never cared about Jeff either. Oh, you see, you're wrong. No, that's <laughs> I, I never cared about Jeff or Matt or Brother Nero or Broken Matt, or Entity Matt, or <laughs> Fat Matt, or Mattitude and the Matt Facts. I've never cared since day one. So the bl you know, it was never a rose to me. Now, see, this is, that's a harsh take. Jeff Hardy, he was a gr I thought he was really good in his role as a... Uh, the Charismatic Enigma. Yeah, he was no, awesome. Not for me. How can you not, not for that? me. Okay, first of all, the name Charismatic Enigma 
is the most annoying name of all time. Yeah, thanks TNA for coining that. Yeah, I'm so. assuming it's your fault. But that's the only thing. That's the only ever. Was it his fault? I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> he. I'm sure it was used on WWF television. Oh, as well. they did as well. But um, it, it was coined TNA. I, if he wants to take credit for it, he can have it because I don't. I, I don't want to take credit. For it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. Uh, yeah, I. I just. I agree absolutely 100% with the Noid. Yeah, wholeheartedly. The British Bushwhacker on the UK fan forum says Zack Ryder. Forgetting his major brother's edgeheads phases, I uh, really started to like Ryder during the WWE CW run with him as a heel with his half tights, half pants attire, which made him stand out a little. During his Long Island IZ YouTube series, he came across as a very charismatic and uh, managed to get himself over to the point that WWE started to again feature him on TV, though his mini push culminated in a fairly memorable US title win. Uh, the moment I began to sour on him was when WWE decided to cut his bollocks off, having watched his on screen girlfriend Eve. Torres played tonsil hockey with John Cena before Kane strapped him to a wheelchair and pushed him off the stage. <laughs> Woeful stuff that made Ryder look like a worthless loser. I've hated him ever since and audibly shouted, what the fuck, when he won his IC title at this year's WrestleMania. So, uh, Zack Ryder. The bloom was off the rose. The bloom was very short for me here. I almost feel like he's not worthy of me straining my vocal cords to talk about him. No? He, he falls into that Matt Hardy category of I've never cared about him. Mm. Not not one job. No, oh, you haven't got the internet car, so I don't think that'll be the reason why. You didn't see the show. You didn't get to see uh, Long Island Ice Disease. Oh, well. I feel like I've missed out in life. The, 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 the run as the internet champion? Still more prestigious than TNA's uh, Grand Championship. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. This, this is very true. Um... Yeah, I'm not going to talk anymore about Zack Ryder. He's not worthy of it. <laughs> <laughs> the half tights thing sucks. Hey? Uh, look, uh, yeah, for a very, very, very small window of time, I was amused by his little internet show. Yeah, I have no interest in watching him on, on, on wrestling TV. I do not want to see him wrestle. I hate his pants. He annoys me as a person. His promos annoy me. He's not very good in the ring. He's not very good. I just want to slap the guy. And he offend, it offended me greatly when he won the IC title at WrestleMania. Yeah. So no, Zach. No. <laughs> That's yes. the end of that. <laughs> That's the end of that chapter. The, the only nice thing I can say about Zack Ryder is that he's not Mojo Rawley. Well, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> that, that's, that the, good that's the only thing. That is a very good point. I actually, yeah, I felt sorry for him again. I felt sorry for him when he was doing the internet stuff and getting not a chance. He got his chance and failed, so it was like, bye-bye. <laughs> I, think, no, I think he got his fair chance. It, it, not, they buried him straight away. He, yeah, but he deserved it. Huh. Um, I, I like. I'm a fan, I liked his dad. His dad seemed a cool guy. Yeah. No. I like his dad more no. than him. No, I, I like no, his dad more. No than man him. of Zack Ryder's father's age should be seen wearing a Superman tank top. Least of all on national television. Oh, yeah, then he gets his guns. Out. It's hilarious. He's much more valuable to that company than Zack has. <laughs> Wyatt Sheepmask on the UK fan form says The New Day have quickly gone from being a moderately entertaining group of lads great bunch of lads to the most annoying fuckwits on the face of the earth when I say New Day it's more Xavier Woods than it is Kofi and Biggie I like the trombone gimmick when it's first introduced uh, then it was just the New Day rocks bit over and over now anything with these three syllables is the New Day rocks treatment so thanks for that Woods if you put half as much effort into his wrestling as he did trying to prove himself as being some sort of uber nerd because he still plays on his Mega Drive he'd be knocking on the main event door obviously that's never going to happen because why be a PS4 when you can be too cool for school and be a Neo Geo instead. Alright, we get it. You like geeky things like all computer games and comic books. I bet he doesn't even call them that. He's one of those pricks who calls them graphic novels for sure. 
<laughs> and what in the blue fuck is being booty supposed to be? If you went up to someone and said that they were being booty, they'd look at you like you need to be sectioned. In fact, in fact, the projection of look at us, we're well random with unicorns and rainbows and t-shirts coming out of cereal boxes and New Day Bootio cereals, which are definitely not the same thing as Asda's own multi-grain hoops. It's not random, it's just saying any old shit. The bloom is clearly off the rose with a new day for Wyatt Sheep Mask. But, but without the new day, we wouldn't we wouldn't have got, or I wouldn't have got that image sent through on my uh, Twitter feed of Bill Clinton holding a box of bootios, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I see that again. It's one of those things, man. You turn a baby face, and the, the charm of of the the stupid humour becomes seemingly childish and goofy humour. It's very. It's it's again context is everything, as we always say, and I think uh, them as heels. Yeah, who, there was no one there was no one who would write into this podcast and didn't love the celebration of the New Day when they won the tag belts in the first place oh it was fantastic Kofi Kingston doing his body pop and Biggie gyrating with his tongue out it was hysterical as heels they're great but as, as, a, as a babyface act again I think that's that's the turning point for this damn also yeah deadly stale now with no challenges of interest yeah um, doesn't help them so what we what do we get? We get we get the same shit week in week mm-hmm. out. Uh, I like them though that they're, they're, they're nice guys. Yeah, they're nice guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'll I'll readily accept that the act is has uh, has gotten uh, very stale in in recent times. I think going back to that notion of a sort of a hinge point again. I think for me it it wasn't so much turning them baby face that did it. It was the I think it was the Wyatt feud. Oh, they did yeah. it for me because that almost looked like it was trying to latch on to the back of the brother Nero stuff and oh the fight at the compound yeah the fight at the compound oh, yeah. the, 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 the notion <laughs> the notion of Xavier being in some sort of hypnotic trance when it came to Bray Wyatt and just you know, just some real hokey shit frankly um, that all being said I do still love the sight of Biggie gyrating and looking like he's having the time of his life yeah God yeah. bless Biggie. He deserves it. Mm. Just needs to stop doing that spear through the ropes. Good <laughs> God, he's going to get killed. Uh, Cobra Gord on the UK fan forum said, Seeing as you've said wrestler or act, I'm going with JR. Sweet fucking Jesus. The sound of Jim Ross's voice used to encompass a lot of what the Attitude Era meant to me. He essentially provided the soundtrack to an era and sold me on matches, angles and wrestlers that lesser commentators couldn't have. Now I can't help but view him as a sad-faced, bitter, barbecue sauce salesman. I can't even stand to look at the man these days, and this has nothing to do with the palsy before anybody starts that. Uh, the calls he made are still important. That's not the issue, and I do feel sympathetic in the way WWE have, has treated him over the years. Is, but it doesn't get him off from being a bell end of huge proportions. I think that back in the day I was less exposed to the business, and so, uh, so in my eyes, he could do no wrong. It's a bit like Foley in that the internet has exposed him for the tosser he is, and makes me think that he was probably a Mardi cowboy hat wearing twat all along. Crap Game 13 on the air, FLW board says Jim Ross did not go quietly into that night and it left a bad taste in my mouth. Embittered on the air, continually planting rumours and making remarks to undercut his successes, whining on the internet for a job, bought back and walked over by the WWE. I never thought he was screwed because he was uh, as much of a corporate hack as anyone in management, but when it came time to move down the card, he didn't want to give up his spot. And a stunner on the UK fan form says, I love that guy so much, I was fucking gutted when WWE started trying anything to get rid of him. How could they try and treat a legend, a clear legend, 
hardened so badly. Even knowing he's the Hyra and Fyra was all right, someone had to do it, and I was totally okay with forgiving his increasingly miserable behaviour and business-first approach. But what truly soured me was that puppy story. Not even the story in itself was enough to put me off, so much as the fact that he genuinely saw it as this great anecdote to tell on every single evening with show and on every damn podcast, like it's a great character-building story. And even the fact that 99% of everyone who heard that story recoiled merely seemed to just confirm in his mind that they weren't mentally tough enough or something. Oh, and then there was the time someone on Twitter asked for advice after they were diagnosed with Bell's palsy and his response was, stop crying and deal with it. So there you go, Jim Ross. Another one of these ones where the personal element seems to kind of skew people's opinions here. Yeah, that that last one's pretty pretty damn tough to, for him to have, to have said that. For the $2 thing. Yeah, um, again, going back to what I said before, I, the sort of the way they are privately or sort of their their personality away from what they do in wrestling is not something I really I really factor into to my interpretation of, of this sort of the, the theme of our podcast um, I'd, I'd accept criticism in the sense of things like his podcast and his impressions are terrible <laughs> so, so, so what are you talking about my boy <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me tell you, egg sucking <laughs> dark. Um, yeah, no, they're they're, they're pretty piss poor, and if, and if and if that if that bothers you about JR, fine, I I, I accept that completely. Um, I have he's he's acknowledged himself. He, he didn't handle the sort of the demotion, if that's the way you want to look at it, to to smack down and the attempt to replace him with Michael Cole, which I think what is what the one email is getting at there. But I do think he's got a point to be legitimately pissed off when they don't tell him he's going to be moved and they just do it on the show. It's a bit of a dick move. It's a bit of a dick move and the company have treated him like shit on several occasions. Um, but his, his commentary for the most part was you know, was outstanding and I, I think it it sort of, with pa- you know, in, with time passing, looks even better in retrospect now based on what we what we're given every every Monday and Tuesday I've, I've never been a fan of Michael Cole um, whilst I, I I have some sympathy for him in the sense of he is just completely barked at down the, down the headset and he's he, you know he's trying to do the best with what he's given so I have some sympathy there but just as a general sort of calling match I've never been a fan of him JBL is incredibly stale don't get me started on Saxton <laughs> and and uh, why Otunga's there, I don't know. He just—it's it, like if I he, do. It's, it's like well, I know why he's there. If, if you know, it's in the box. But but, but it, it's like he almost Radio. he almost yeah. forgets he's on commentary, and every so often he's just like, shit. I'm here. I better blurt out a line quickly. Yeah. So I think on the basis of what we get now, Jr. just looks all all the all the better for it. And I do personally find it offensive that he was moved, and I think he's got a right to feel aggrieved that this is what he's been replaced with over time. <laughs> Kieran, your thoughts on Jim Ross? Jim Ross, um, he, well, obviously, yeah. Given the, the standard fare of today, Jim Ross stands out even more as this. There's the godly uh, announcer, and the value to that company is, is immense. There's so many things wrong with their storytelling, which uh, you can trace back to directly what Jim Ross was exceptional at doing. Um, in terms of emphasis of, of, of key points and uh, accentuating them, the him personally. Uh, I don't listen to his podcasts. I, I don't frequent. Neither do I anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't frequent because you're part deaf. I, I am. I don't frequent websites that he's on. 
Um, so I don't know what he says. I don't care. But the only thing I will say to that is that isn't it interesting that, and probably rightfully so, but Vince is always the bad guy in terms of personal relationships. JR's a dick, right? Vince is the boss. D- d- hypothetical situation. Okay. He's... Okay, so yeah, so... He, and he's, he, he goes from being... This is the common thing. He goes from being, okay, the talent liaison, wherever he was, yeah. and lead guy, and then, okay, he loses the one job. And it's, in a normal world of work, you lose that... You know, it's like a big... Everyone expects this wrestling, so it's like this happy family and things stay in place. And the logistics of a workplace, you're the lead commentator, and it's if you know maybe there's a perception of arsonists coming through, or for whatever the reasons, it's but it's always part of Vince that the, the, the attitude, and unless it's Sean Michaels, by the way, in which case it's on Sean, but the, <laughs> but it's it, it, yeah, the, 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 there's the, a relationship is takes it's a two way thing, and okay, your Vince is the one who has the ultimate kind of say because that's his actions speak louder than any words that we don't hear yeah. but it's just yeah it's interesting that then afterwards okay there's this, this question marks over JR's attitude in terms of personal relationships and things like that and interactions with people and it's like yeah, you, you look at things in a different way maybe yeah. it's like okay you, you say you, we're expecting Vince to make this cold hard just pure business decision on yeah of course JR's gonna should be still on the commentary table because he's better than everyone else but um there are other factors to consider as well which again from fan points of view maybe even just didn't like the impressions either <laughs> maybe he was just fucking annoyed by him um, which you know from fans that's n- none of our business we can only talk about the actual using of the, of, of JR on screen yeah. and that's disappointing apart from I will say though uh, I wasn't a fan of the Wrestle Kingdom stuff which everyone blowed I think it was just to hear his voice again I thought it was very half-assed and it wasn't nothing special at all so I don't know what's been said about that actually made people plan it as well but um, yeah, great commentator I don't care my, my opinion of him as a commentator hasn't dropped yeah exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean that's, that's, that's in terms yeah. of the blooming off the rose in terms of him personally again not, none of the is it the victim thing the vi- maybe, that, maybe that's what's that, dangerous uh, do you know what I was, there's a great example later on where that's going to come with that thing of people who are almost seem like they're the put upon person the victim of a situation and then when you kind of get to see some of their personal yeah. uh attitudes and stuff maybe yeah like you say maybe, maybe it does shed a little bit of light on th- some things it's very easy to see him as the victim when you yeah. do things like nurse like, 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 like mock the fact that he's just had pretty serious surgery and use it for a skit you constantly belittle him in his home state every every year you know, the, the, the Vince Kiss Mouse the bit where Laurinaitis fires him yeah. Gordon of fires he him. They, he didn't know what was happening in, in, in his home state and, and then they did they fucking ambush him after the and fact I, that, that, was, that, was, that was that was horrific that, <laughs> that, that, they ran up to the microphone and say so Jim what's he said it's like so Jim Ross what do you think about being fired by uh, John Laurinaitis are you mad because he did a better job as you as the head of talent relations <laughs> <laughs> look at Mike in it's his just, face it, one of those times I was legitimate, legitimately annoyed at the treatment of another person I just I just thought that was such bullshit Vince has got every every right to move commentators around and, and do as he sees fit to, to best benefit his business but things like that were of no benefit to the company whatsoever. It was Vince getting off his jollies in a very vindictive way, yeah. which is why it's easy to label it at Vince. I think he creates a rod for his own back when it comes to Jim Ross. Yeah. I'm not saying Jim Ross is... Or scrunching his face up and doing an uh, impression yeah. of Jim Ross on yes. TV with a beer star poster in the background. Yeah, I mean, I'm... <laughs> for fuck's sake. Irony. Not, irony, irony Lee. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not saying JR is a saint by any means. And obviously, people have had enough personal interactions... Mm. Yeah. For that to be they the take case, dog around his house. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently not. But 
but yeah, when it, when it comes to when it comes to the Vince Jr. dynamic, Vince Vince does have an awful lot to answer for there. Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm not trying to defend Vince here, but it's just this thing <laughs> where I just given Jr.'s sarky, arsy nature, you trace things back to when he's had head of talent relations, and I can just imagine things where he kind of undercuts Vince, or he'll say things to try and you know, uh, kind of. Uh, I, I just think I could see tension coming both ways like that, and then. How is Vince going to... I just... I, just, oh, no, I, see, I, I, I just think it's two sides of every yeah, story. No, so. no, because uh, I can see where you come from in that sense of talent relations because it it's always strikes me, when it comes to talent relations, and maybe Liam will have better examples of, of this than, than I can recall off the top of my head, you ask a wrestler to criticise John Laurinaitis and there will be a queue a mile long of people who want to talk about how terrible he was during talent relations. Generally, when it gets to JR, apart from a couple of exceptions such as the likes of PG-13 and who really cares what they say about anything. Honky-tonk man. Well, who, who cares what he has to say that about beacon anything. beacon of credibility. <laughs> yeah. Apart from a couple of exceptions, by and large, when it comes to JR and his stint as head of talent relations, people are glowing about him. They generally talk in a positive tone about him. And maybe some of that comes from the sense of he was play, playing that good cop to Vince's bad cop, and maybe, maybe or bad to Vince's good. In some that? cases, but this is like the fact that he doesn't get he doesn't get heat for his his time there tells me that in, on a personal basis, where people because people would always complain to him because that's the nature of the job, he wouldn't take that on himself. He deflects it. I signed you, but it's not my, I'm not the one using you. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm saying. Where I, I can see your point from the talent relations side, I could I could very much believe that sense of undercutting Vince and and wanting to portray himself as as the. Uh, the better-natured angel, let's say. As we're talking about people who are kind of the victims of circumstance here, it feels like a good time to talk about an inexorable journey on the WrestlingForum.com mentions Ric Flair. Uh, his matches required a decent amount of time to build to a finish in WCW. For the most part, all was good, but in his WWF run of TV matches, Ric would get about five to six minutes, and Ric did just not look good uh, in short matches. This was doubly so in his return to the WWE era, as instead of six-minute matches, he seemed lucky to get three, which exposed him as a performer. I contrast this with Shawn Michaels, who even on TV matches would regularly get over 11 and often over 20 on pay-per-view. Bookamania on the UK fan forum says Ric Flair, after his beautiful send-off at WrestleMania 24, he just pissed all over the hard work HBK and others had put into his retirement angle. I cringe at his TNA run, except for his segment with Jay Lethal, with him wrestling around in his underwear and bleeding like a cunt. Uh, him screwing over ROH, uh, sorry about that, and costing JR his job can also be added to other reasons why he soured on the man, who I once considered to be one of the all-time greats. Gay as Fook on the UK fan forum also said, He's the old yellow that Triple H healed against in 2005, for real. And I kind of feel bad in a way for taking that stance because his son died, his daughter's a wrestler, his wives all leave him, and it amounts to the business being uh, all he has. I also became the biggest Ric Flair fan ever in 2008 when merely approaching him as a weird old interfering fucker for a few years prior to that. So around the time of WrestleMania, I watched so many Flair packages, went over his DVD sets, stayed up for the Hall of Fame, that I thought the I love you thing was actually pretty damn keen. Thought WrestleMania that year should have closed with a fading shot of his boots and robe in the ring whilst Flair himself melted into an ectoplasmic morph of wrestling brilliance before he ever made it back to Gorilla. They'd scoop him up afterwards with a dustpan, fashion his remains into a locket for Triple H to wear <laughs> that would unlock extra job classes for him or some shit, and, uh, and wrestling would never be the same because the man would be gone. Bittersweet. 
Well, we all know what happened. And did I think he would be proper, proper gone? Of course not, but I did eat up that he'd never wrestle again. And it's not like he's had a million matches, but it just burned me on Flair completely. It made me realise that I'm not that into his old stuff. I love how a crazy Flair promo can brighten up a dull Nitro even in its dying days. And I appreciate all that he had done in the 1980s, but he ain't my guy. He's not even close to being my guy, and that's cool. It's quite a souring and with guilt on both sides. I don't even know what he's doing now, I can't tell anymore. He could be proper done apart from nice appearances, and that's that. Or he could be booked into a convention centre next week doing this whole leaving Las Vegas thing again. Uh, the comfortable middle ground I can go back to is the evolution era Ric Flair. That's my Ric Flair tel- television character. So, uh, lots of lots of kind of anti-Flair sentiment there from all over the place. Flair again, kind of the, uh, the put-upon you know, guy that cried all the time because of the bad treatment he got in WCW. You know, get get gets the moment in two thousand and three when Triple H and people put him upon his shoulders, and the and again that personal element when he actually retired and Carl, you you know those legends of wrestling roundtables, as well as anybody, but Flair came off during a period of time as such a fucking ass. Oh, he <laughs> he, do, he does come off as such a prick, such a prick, and and always tries to get the. Where were you when I retired, Mick? Yeah, always always. <laughs> I was tried... with my family. Where were you? <laughs> you know, I, I, how dare Mick, how dare uh, Sir Mick have the temerity to not show up to the retirement of a man who constantly criticised him as nothing, as nothing more than a stunt monkey. Well, yeah, but the only reason he didn't go is because everyone else there refused to pay for Mick's autograph and, <laughs> and the photos. Well, why weren't they willing to make a charitable donation? That's on them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, there, are, there are times where Flair does come off as such an arse. Just and it, it seemed quite easily riled as well. Mm. Everything seems to be an affront to him. Um, that being said, when it comes to WCW, um, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. I don't, I don't think him or you know him and Bischoff have uh, maybe not necessarily got equal part blame, but uh, you know neither of them are. Neither uh, are innocent. Neither of them are innocent in that regard. Yeah. Um, However, Jim Hurd, I think, might be a bit of a different story because, again, there are many other people who have the same criticisms of Jim Hurd. So you, you know, there's that much smoke there. Dusty, Dusty, Cornet, Flair. Oh, I'm Arn. Flair and Dusty were at odds oh, as well. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah. So, they're, they're, but they're, you know, there's far too many people complaining about Jim Jim Hurd for me for me not to think that that's probably probably legitimate. Um, I never really. I I don't really get the sense of the criticisms for for the match length. I I don't feel that's something I can put on Flair. He's he's told how long he's getting for the matches, and that it is what it is, right, right, wrong, or otherwise. TNA surprisingly crops up again when it comes to uh, <laughs> annoyance of the fans here and there. Again, one I'm one hundred percent on board with the, with that criticism. It, the retirement uh, thing was just that sucked. The the retirement thing sucked because it was. Easily the best the company's ever done. You couldn't do a better retirement, really. No, and it, and all the emotion involved, so the genuine sense of yeah, obviously flaring tears that this career's come to an end. I the I love you, which is all very nice, and the great send off he gets on Raw the next night. It's all perfectly done. If you could just, no one's saying he couldn't necessarily be on TV in some capacity in the future. They would have been happy to you see Flair yeah, come back. They're, they're, stately, yeah, stately, yeah, uh, the the, yeah, the elder statesman, you know the. Sort of the great wise uncle of the company, if you like, in a sense. <laughs> just don't talk about, just don't talk finance. <laughs> um, you got your figure for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and I didn't have to give him a belt as collateral either. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the the TNA stuff is just terrible. I mean, maybe that Jay Lethal thing is good. I can't comment on it. I haven't seen it. But even if that one bit is good, that's not enough to do away with all the all, well, all the negatives of that TNA stint. How about that time when Ric Flair kept getting iced and kept getting <laughs> getting to drink the Smirnoff because of uh, Fortune? Would, uh, would always hide the, the Smirnoff bottle. Does that oh. not do it for you, Carl? No, that didn't do it for me. Nor did him kicking around a copy of, I think, Fo- I think it might have been Countdown to Lockdown. He was kicking around the ring whilst he constantly called Foley a son of a bitch frothing at the mouth while Foley hit himself. And it was just, just also, <laughs> also terribly sad to see. I think I, I died a little <laughs> inside watching that, to be honest. Um, That's funny. But yeah, there's, I think there's, there's legitimate criticism to be had of things post send off and, and and the TNA stuff, but uh, I'm I'm not going to knock him for the for the matches and and some of the WCW stuff. I think he I think he is legitimately put upon and, and treated unfairly when it comes to the uh, the herd stint in sort of 1991. Mr. LaSalle on Pro Wrestling also mentioned Chris Benoit. I used to be a huge fan and now not so much. Uh, Zenjo on Pro Wrestling only says wrestling fans are such an unforgiving bunch. All it takes is a couple of murders and they turn on you in a heartbeat. <laughs> Plus the Undertaker killed his parents. No one holds that against him. <laughs> Talk about double standards. <laughs> I just Kane, wanted to Kane, read that. Kane killed Katie Vick. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Evans on the Pro Wrestling Only Message Board says Damien Sandow I was a huge fan of his when he was released from WWE he went to Puerto Rico then he got signed to WWE and went to FCW slash NXT and I thought he became really good then he got handed a lot of shit gimmicks like Mizdow and even the Macho Man and somehow still made it work I started to sour on him when they ended the Mizdow gimmick and he started his complaining thing on Twitter once he showed up in TNA I knew it was over and he's just not good anymore uh, Gok on Pro Wrestling Only says Sandow is definitely the current king of favourites that people have soured on even his most diehard supporters after the Mizdow thing are talking about how his TNA run sucks and he's not very good without some kind of goofy gimmick which to me is hilarious as all anyone wanted to say about him after, uh, after the Mizdow thing was make him a serious character and give him a push <laughs> Mizdow was never uh, sorry Sandow was never one that I was high on to be never, quite honest not once it, I have no interest he in has his place the Damien's now intellectual saviour had his place it was fine where it was trying to overextend the Mizdow thing was entertaining but you've got to know what the limit is for, for, for certain people and and, and and that's his that's that's what he's good at you know that's so some people think that he was capable of more and I wholeheartedly disagree. Uh, my thinking is, is much the same. I was I was never massive on on the guy anyway. Um, he he had a role to to fill at times, which which he did very well. I you know, I, I did find the the intellectual savior savior humorous, and I, I did enjoy. Um, the Mizdash up to a point it went on too long I think but you know, there was entertainment to be had there but there is a very low ceiling on that sort of thing and as as you said Lynn, that people thought he was, he was capable of more I, I never really brought into that and uh, I think the proof is in the pudding shockingly enough with TNA <laughs> <laughs> so there's a pattern developing here mm. um Anybody Thriller on TPWW forum says, As a native of Cincinnati myself, it really pains me to say this, but Dean Ambrose. When he debuted as the charismatic, off-kilter mouthpiece for The Shield, I was immediately on board. Having watched him at numerous local shows before his big league debut filled me with a sense of vicarious accomplishment in a perverse way. It was clear that Cincinnati was about to have its biggest pro wrestling star since Brian Pillman, and it was exciting. Over time, though, it took away his edginess and made him a goofball type that would probably be more fitting as an aloof character in a high school-based sitcom, sort of like A.C. Slater 
later in Screech if they really took things to the max. Really thinking about it, I feel that it may just be WWE's way of presenting baby faces that seemingly unhinged his genitals from his body, and that's the environment that I currently see him in, and it just makes me lunatic cringe. Uh, a heel turn might do wonders, but until then, I miss you, Mox. Uh, Grizzly Edwin on Pro Wrestling only says, holy crap, has this guy sucked for the majority of the time since the Shield split? I was big on him pre-WWE as John Moxley working in Puerto Rico and East Coast Indies, and in the shield he was good as they worked well together but then when they split and he began running the single lunatic fringe character he just started working the same routine and all of his matches have been very predictable stale and uninteresting it's like he realized he got over and stopped caring that brock feud was interesting yet the blow off at mania was horrendous that jericho feud was awful too and a superplex on the f4w board says i thought he was going to be the guy who could add some spice to the wwe his austin interview was shit a lot of his spots are shit and he tries way too hard to come across carefree which is pretty ironic. So uh, there you go. Dean Ambrose next on the list here for individuals at the Bloomers off the Rose. Yeah, I like Dean. Um, I always thought he's talented and different, and uh, there was something there that he could, um, yeah, stand out and be unlike what they've got on that fucking card at the minute. Um, but he's, yeah, stylistically, I don't. I always try to defend that he wrestled this style to fit his gimmick. Yeah. But it's if that's the case, he needs to stop because it's it's just so stodgy and stale. And I, just, I just don't get up for a number. I mean, there's a point when he seemed like the most over guy on the show. Start this year, yeah. Um, obviously, the booking. He's never received any help in the booking post Shield. Um, Always loses the big feuds. Just, yeah, and it, that's. I mean, for, for a point, I thought it was. It wasn't gonna. It was super damaging but in culmination and now we got to the point I think in the splitting of the brand with the titles and so he finally gets to that point and yeah. he got there and you know what it wasn't even a big deal anyway and now it's happened now it's it, over he won it in that shitty money in the bank yeah. nature where it's like this isn't the big win that the, the, the big argument that you always used to make Kieran was the nature of the Ambrose character he could take the losses at the time early on after the Shield split because the idea was that he was kind of the work in progress mm. anyway he was the, the guy that's going to get there and when he finally ascends it's the evolution of him as a, as a character, and then he's like there, that. yeah. And then he's there, and then and people would believe in him because he he'd gone he'd gone through it, and they'd seen the journey. The problem was the journey never actually it wasn't a journey. Again, it's that WWE thing where he stays in place. They they he, he loses to Bray Wyatt, which is again as you, as you mentioned previously, Carl. That's an anomaly if there ever was one. This guy's not good enough to beat Bray Wyatt, and then when he finally ascends, it's not an ascension. He, he wins the fluke, and the titles are split, and they've never meant less. No. Um... And again, it's got it's gone from in February he has the match with Triple H and, and he, he seems super over at Roadblock and a guy that should be in place there. It should be him, not Roman Reigns thing. And then it's just and I think that, that again we're talking about hinge points. Lesnar at WrestleMania is it for me? I think that once he lost that match after he was getting treated like he wasn't on Brock's level, the entire build. I the, yeah, I thought the build. Oh my god, the, the, the match itself was okay. It was about that. It was it was disappointing and it was it shouldn't have gone down like that. But even if he'd. I, I it would have taken something special and amazing protection of Ambrose, which is never going to happen for that feud. I, it, it, that, I thought the build to that was fucking atrocious. Yeah. Um, I can't think of one single person in the world, alive or dead, who thought who that feud would have made encouraged to buy WrestleMania. Yeah. Well, no one buys WrestleMania anymore anymore. Subscribe to the network. Yes. Um, Sorry. Uh, yes, I just kind of lost in this. I think he's now in this position where he's. Okay, he's got his character. He thinks that's his little niche, and he seems content to stay there. And they they're content to keep him there. And mm -hmm. it's just uh, uh, 
just my interest in seeing Ambrose is, is diminished greatly yeah. from again it's, it's a, maybe it's, it's a perception of potential thing and now it's the perception of his potential has is, is, uh, exponentially dropped um, as a heel could he get revitalised possibly I mean Stylus, I mean that would help in a couple of ways I think his promise would be very good I think, I think he's, as, as a worker I think he'd be he yeah, that I, I, I mean, yeah, that's probably not the biggest thing because well, both of them actually both character and yeah, in ring I think it would massive boost to him and it's um, shake up the, the staleness anyway but uh, yeah, at this p- point in time, um, yeah, my my interest in Ambrose is at an all time low. So. Yeah, I think the um, I think the Lesnar feud is is where the, <clears throat> in particular, where the crowd he loses steam with the crowd. I mean, you he didn't have to win that match by any means for for the crowd to still be with him, but you had to have that sort of fiery baby baby face fighting from underneath. Uh, in much the same way that Punk, Punk, had, do- Punk had done with yeah. Lesnar, that was that was the prime example. You know, him being treated the way he was in the build, and then him just coming off as a sap in the match. Well, I'm just stepping on his face in the build, like walking yeah. over like he's not worth it. Like and, a piece of dog shit yeah. on his shoe. And then, and then when you get to the when you get to the show, and sort of the match, the match effectively conveys that as well. It it does a lot of damage. I have some sympathy with him personally in that in the respect of. Lesnar didn't want to do anything in the match because obviously he was preparing for his UFC return. Yes. Um, so I've got a, some sympathy there. I don't want to knock him. I don't want to knock him too much for that. But it's clearly where the where the crowd lose their interest. You know, they'd stay with him up to a, up to a point, even losing to to Bray and sort of losing every major feud he had. But even going on from then, when it's this sense of building him up to that title win. The Jericho feud is where they really emphasised, started to really emphasise to me the the zany nature of the character, all the the potted plant bullshit and all, uh, and the jacket and all that sort of thing. That, that's that's where they, <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's where they really started to hammer home this sense of, oh, he's this, you know, he's this kooky character as opposed to sort of, you know, threateningly crazy. Oh, he's just offbeat, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, and you know, yeah. I sort of that sort of yeah, funny isn't money. Yeah. At the end of the day, and you're right. The, the title win comes across as the complete money in the bank fluke, and that's a concept they really need to ditch. Uh, yeah, now. please kill that. They, they need, you know, that's, that's just a. That's what we need this year. A money in the bank paper with two money in the bank contracts fucking rolling around. Yeah, because we because we're gonna get it. Yeah, because they can't be. Yeah, this creative team they're fucking really earning their money. Yeah. So, and then obviously. The the Austin interview is terrible, but from the That's, yeah. but the, but the, impre- <laughs> the impression I get is that most of his interviews are like that because he's he, somebody he's, he's quite guarded yeah. apparently with it because of the, the life he's had. Whatever. Don't put him in that position. Though, whatever. Would be a good idea, yeah. yeah. Whatever that entails. Yeah. You know, the idea would be not to put him on the on the on the podcast with Austin, where Austin is visibly getting annoyed with him throughout. <laughs> like this is a, uh, it's and, all these things. You, you're looking at Austin. It's like it's almost like you could just see. In like as the show went on, his conviction that this guy should be a main eventer is just whittling away. Well, he, he, do you remember when Austin does the podcast with Vince? And I think it's, <laughs> it's I think it's when they when they're talking about uh, when they're talking about the belt, it's and, he, and he has that look of sort of visible annoyance. Yeah, he almost has that face throughout the duration of the Ambrose podcast. It's just a sense of you're giving me absolutely nothing here, yeah. and it almost seems from the point of Austin saying you need to push the envelope a bit more. It's almost like Ambrose personally and the company have just said they're just going to dig their heels in, and he is going to be the 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 zany character who has the bloody 
you know, foam hat on and spilled coffee on people and it's all, all just complete horseshit which doesn't do him any favours and Kieran's absolutely right um, stylistically he, you know, that, that in-ring style is more suited to a heel and his promo would be more suited to a heel um, I think he can be salvaged in that regard I you know, we've talked about it in the past I, I would entertain the idea of putting the shield back together it is a bit of a retread, but they have heels all heels, absolutely heels. But they have, they are clearly floundering apart, and their their weaknesses are exposed as individuals. You know, we talk about Reigns' sort of ability to do a long promo and his matches being hit and miss. Seth Rollins being the whiniest baby face you're ever likely to see, and obviously the, the criticisms we've made of Ambrose. So you, you could hide those. It is a retread. I think there are limits to it in that regard, but it, it's better than what they're doing with them currently. I think, so I, I, I think he, he, I think Ambrose can be salvaged. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think he's going the way of the dodo anytime soon. Um, I, I will say I wasn't surprised to see his name crop up because I, I recall offhand a conversation you had, Liam, probably three or four weeks ago with G, who isn't here to defend himself, <laughs> but I'm going to do this anyway. I think he went as far as to say. He wants Ambrose out of the company. He wants him cut, <laughs> which I, which I think is frankly absurd. <laughs> Slightly reactionary, perhaps. <laughs> yes, I, I think that's a step too far. But on the on the basis of, of the way sort of G was talking, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see other people crop up and not say that he should be cut from the company, but say this guy's not living up to all we thought he could be. Just very quickly, I want to say because I need to get this in there. Um, the, the 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 credit for for Lesnar Punk, I think this article. I can't let this slide. Um, isn't it interesting that Brock pulls out the stops for Heyman's little buddy, but for poor old Dean he doesn't. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. With Dean, what did annoy me incredibly, and it's like one of the things like just stand up for yourself and say this is shit. Is the fucking faux Austin stuff with the hot dog car and the, yeah. what are you doing it's so f- yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, horrible mm. seems like a natural segue here after I talk about Ambrose to talk about Brock Lesnar next Stephen Sutton on the Facebook page is a promising young talent but now a guy who's like a creative wrestler and his moves are just suplex after suplex after suplex CS on pro wrestling only says Brock was never someone I loved but his early stint as the next big thing was great and exciting contrast that with his one trick pony matches now suplex city is the biggest con of all time Paul has taken his hide the negatives and accentuate the positives philosophy from ECW and applied it in the biggest way possible to Brock and everyone's eating that shit up and thinking it tastes like cotton candy Plus, the guy is an absolute albatross and liability at this point. He did nothing but Ambrose at WrestleMania, concussed Orton at SummerSlam, and has become a boring waste of time in general. And uh, LP on Pro Wrestling Only also says what's been said previously, uh, the Suplex City bullshit is a typical case of WWE jumping on something organic and turning it into complete shit. Remember that insane Cena match when Lesnar came back? Or the brutal triple threat match it made at uh, the Rumble, I'm assuming he means, last year? Uh, now it's just him launching a bunch of suplexes with people counting along. The hardway concussion stuff is also one of the biggest debacles in recent memory. Lesnar was special. He turned into someone I just dread to see work now. 49 year old Goldie's on the way? That match is a disaster on paper, but since it can't be Suplex City, maybe they'll find a way to make it work again. I doubt it. So a lot of anti-Brock sentiment. Uh, and I see this again on these, uh, some of these message boards. People not liking the suplex, suplex, suplex stuff from Brock. Thinking it makes him more boring? Um... I would say it's more of an indictment on their inability to create challenges for him. Yeah, me too. And so the act becomes 
a routine, which is the same for absolutely everyone. I would not levy any any of those criticisms at Brock himself because Brock is a fucking god. <laughs> Greatness, he's so great. I think it's phenomenal. Uh, the ultimate projection of power and the ability to show weakness at the right time if he wants to. But again, I won't put that on him. The the, the, the Ambrose stuff. I don't know. You can criticize him in the build, which for me, again, for me personally, just completely. I had no interest in that match going no. in, which How is shocking. Um, and the, ma- the execution of the match itself um, again I wouldn't necessarily put that on him although maybe there's something there that he, w- he was with Heyman in his ears he was more willing to give to Punk but I don't, uh, Brock being willing to give people something isn't something I've necessarily held against him ever you know, it's a great act it's a believable act it needs to be fed and it's not it's not being fed so, okay, the, but the interest in Lesnar's act ended after the Taker series because they've had nothing of interest for him since and that's that's pretty much the, the, the breaking point for me Lesnar is, is the one thing in that company that, that feels legitimate that actually seems credible for the most part I, I, I think that might be an overstatement given AJ Styles' recent stellar work but but on the whole Lesnar stands generally sort of above the fray, if you like, above everything else. Um, and with Lesnar, you get the whole package. Without Lesnar, you don't get Heyman. I think that's something that should be considered. Well, you again, there's criticism. I think, think it was uh, excellent. I don't know who work. it was, but I've been yeah, somebody who, who pointed out that Lesnar, uh, sorry, Heyman's shtick has been quite you know similar as well for the last uh, year and a half. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> Also, I'll say I, I think his mic work has been stellar. Um, a, a lot of the criticisms there, to to me, it, it it's on the company. It's not Brock Lesnar's fault that Randy Orton got the concussion in that manner. When they are in, when the company is insistent, I, I, that sounds a bit of a, a daft thing to say, but, but bear with me. In the sense of, if the company is insistent, he can't use a blade to cut himself. And they're saying, right, you've got to bust him open hard way. A concussion is... Likely. It's not, bound, it's not bound to happen, but it's very, very likely. You know, when the com- have this 300-pound yeah. man elbow you in the head as when hard they, as When can. the company have said, that's what they want, and that's what Orton has agreed to as well, I have a hard time saying that because of that, the bloom is off the rose for Brock, for Brock Lesnar with me. I, I, I don't find the shtick tiresome at all, because Lesnar seems legitimate ergo I think it's completely believable that he grabs one around the waist and throws them in the air <laughs> in, a, in, a, in the sense of a legitimate sporting context that's what you would do so I just I, 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 I'm afraid I, uh, I respectfully disagree with the criticisms of Lesnar and don't think the bloom is off the rose at all I don't get that yeah the, 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 in terms of repetition of his, of his move set um it's believable. He's in a fight, and he his goal is what he's good at. He's going to grab hold of this fool, and he's going to launch him, and he's going to hurt him. If the guy gets on top. He's going to do that to try and wear him down as much as possible. If the guy gets on top, he's going to go back to his bread and butter, and he's going to try and hurt you. Mm-hmm. It's it's always done believably at the right time. His ability to sell believably and and pick watch that punk match is fucking. It, it is an it is a real underrated side of Lesnar that sort of the, the, the monster that, that can 
sell at the right time. Particularly in, in the in the I think the Reigns match at Main is an yeah. excellent example of that. I think it's something that's often overlooked. One I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh, briefcase on the UK fan forum says Seth Rollins always enjoyed his work always a good performer in the ring and he really came to his own when turning on the shield uh, his cashing was brilliant and he rarely in my opinion had bad matches triple threat at the rumble was spot on and I didn't even mind him so much with the authority in J&J uh, as he always seemed uh, deemed to be the smart one who would always be moves ahead unfortunately he had his injury probably at the worst time and he had just uh, hasn't been the same since he isn't the same Seth that masterminded the shield now he's just a face without any real meaning he totally uh, goes against everything I loved about him he hasn't even done the curbs uh, and he does a really, and he makes do with a really shitty pedigree. I just find it hard to get behind him when his character has become so bland and grey. The worst part is when he came back, he could have been the white hot babyface in this in the uh, white ring attire, but they kept him heel, and now they are trying to run with him as a face without any real reasons for the fans to get behind him. In two three years, he's gone from the architect to Seth freaking Rollins. I think the new shirt says it all. And Seba uh, PC on the FOW board says Rollins recently he's looked really out of place since returning from injury. Um, Seth's. A talented guy, but I think if you watch wrestling for more than five years, I think his position on the all-time echelon is a lot lower than if you haven't. He's, he's good. He's not great. Um, in terms of the character, this architect stuff... I hated promos, all, fucking it, hell. Okay, f- yeah, the post-turn stuff on the shield it, it was fucking atrocious. He was subservient. He wasn't intelligent. He was... He was... Lucky. He was... Positioned as the guy who's been picked, and now he's being mollycoddled. He's a little whiny bitch. Yeah. There's no brains behind that, and he wasn't even the architect in the shield. This is a fucking Mister, a fucking myth as well. At the start, he wasn't called that. Ambrose was positioned. Ambrose led the promos. Ambrose was the US champ. He was the one positioned as the real leader because he has the natural charisma at that time. In that position, the swagger down the yeah. Rollins and Reigns with the tag team. Exactly. Um, when they turned him, he was like, okay, they've taken the guy with probably the biggest weakness in terms of a main event push and trying to which was admirable admirable but <laughs> it was just completely phony for me it's good as he it's good as he's in many respects um, I've just never I, I like the guy okay the, the whiny heel stuff was atrocious his position was atrocious that's not on him that's on them um, and now he's this smart ass baby face he's becoming a Dolph Ziggler baby face of People try and say, trying to be entertaining, but in this nonchalant, cocky way, which is just obnoxious. You just look a dick who, like a real tough guy, would beat you, beat your ass for talking like that. Yeah. Rather than Rock, who's cool and cocky and he's saying things, and it's like, oh yeah, he's saying fuck you. Everyone's saying fuck you to Rollins. <laughs> um, I, I, I generally echo those sentiments. He, he's he's an excellent in-ring performer. You know, he, he's had some very good matches. Um, the idea that the knee injury and the return is where the problems have started is is not something I I can agree with I'm afraid it's it, it not that's not to say that what he's doing currently is good he is a, a whiny little bitch you called him maybe the, the, you know, whichever way you chose to phrase it, that's that's pretty much accurate it, it, the premise of his baby face promos are I'm, I'm going to show the authority for picking the other guy for not <laughs> loving me enough. It should be me. They're going to they're going to regret this. Who the fuck wants to get behind a guy like that? And that's that's not that's not um, that's, maybe that's not you know, that's not all on him. Yeah, he is given the verbiage in the same way the rest of the roster are. But you know, if, if we're talking about just a sense of when you stop caring about someone, that doesn't make me care about him. No. But similarly, 
I didn't care about him prior to that because despite the good good to excellent in-ring work, he was the whiny, whiny bitch of a heel, which you, you don't want that for your world champion. Your world champion should not be the whiny little bitch. He can be arrogant. He can, you know, he, to, to, to kind of phrase, tuck his tail and run from time to time from the fight. He can, be, he can show a bit of cowardice. But to be whiny on the microphone, to be mollycoddled by the authority. How about that cackle? Do you like his laugh? His heel cackle? Oh, the cartoon cackle, no. <laughs> and it's, you know, he, he's, never, he's never come across as a, an effective heel or an effective babyface as an all round package. So I've, as soon as he split from the shield, that, that was pretty much it for me with, with him. Hmm. And absolutely no projection of star power. That is the key for me. That is the killer for me. When something's like blooming off the rose, we, I, I constantly would say, for fuck's sake, you're the chosen one of the company. When Rock was the chosen one of the company, he dressed like a million dollars, and you're there like an indie geek in your fucking t-shirt and tights trying to peddle merchandise. And I don't know if that's a company directive, Maybe. but if it's whatever, he needs to be. If you're going to be a top guy, you've got to be above trying to fit in with what that is. It's yeah. like. Why are you not trying to project star? He doesn't project star power in his promos. He doesn't do it in, in the way he walks, in his general presence, the way he dresses, the way he is. There is there is nothing about this guy that, to me, says this is the guy that you should anchor the entire company around. Apart from the fact that he's a good, a very good wrestler. It's it's like the perfect shit Sunday, isn't it? He doesn't do he doesn't do himself any favors in the way he acts in his promos and the way he carries himself. And similarly, the company don't do him any favours in the sense of he is as a heel as the heel champion chosen he is projected as an absolute fluke mm. you know in that sense of if the authority aren't there he's not going to have the belt and yeah there are people may look at use the argument and say flair and the horseman or you know the horseman always having flares back as some sort of some sort of similar comparison of, of, of the two in the way they sort of treat Rollins. Not the but, same, but, but, it's, but, it, but yeah, but it's but it's not the same because he he just looks like a complete fluke. And, and Flair had that star power, carried himself well, could and talk could better talk. than everyone. He was the leader, and, though. And, yeah. and he was and he was the leader of the group. Rollins is subservient to the authority figure. He wasn't the leader of the leader of the shield. He wasn't the leader of the shield. He's he, he just generally. I think he, he's subservient. Mm. So then, when you when you're treated as subservient throughout, that then bleeds into the the perception rightly that that he's not the champion. And look at the way he carries himself as well. It all, it all just sort of it's it's almost like a vicious cycle. Uh, in terms of the, the, the current face of as well, two things. One. I mean, we were all, I think, bagging our heads. Why the fuck did they... But bringing him back as a heel to turn him was awful. Yeah, and so consciously as well. It was like, it was so over. It was, it was easy. It was easy, and they, they knew it was going to happen, but they were dead set against it. I guess maybe that's the Roman thing. And yeah, totally is. So whatever. But then, okay, so now they then they say, okay, well, we, well now we're going to go with him as a face, that we should have done that before. Um, so, but, so the premise of his face turn is that he was a whiny bitch who had the world gifted to him, he was selected to be put in a position. Now they've decided to go with someone else. So he's pissy that he's not being given the special treatment. So he's going to throw his toys at the pram while at the same time using Triple H's finisher because <laughs> that's fucking ace still, you know. <laughs> Fuck off. Nah. 
Rob Van Dam is the next one on the list. Brother Vito Deleted on TPWW says, I was a huge fan of his right through his first WWE run, and, uh, which went through 2007. But when I watched him in TNA, then his eventual WWE return, I realised that he literally has not evolved whatsoever in 15 years. Watching back his earlier stuff when I liked him, it's just so bland and it was the same stuff in every match. Seen one RVD match and you've seen them all. I think this just goes to show that as a younger fan, I really didn't notice how repetitive some of the stuff I was watching was. Wrestling on the UK fan form says, Mine also has to be RVD. Worshipped him in ECW and in his early WWE days. But then, as mentioned, he's got a bit samey. I still pop for him winning the belt off Cena at one night stand, uh, but I probably already got a little bored of him before that. Then the title reign came, uh, which went nowhere. Then he got canned. Then he openly couldn't be arsed in TNA. Then came back to WWE and worked his old style in slow motion. Uh, Hellpop on F4W also says the same. When he was the ECW TV champion, I thought he was the best guy in the world. But the shine wore off when he was in WWE. I didn't turn on him as hard as some did, but he certainly was never among my favourite guys again. Yeah, I, um, I'd, I'd say he was stale quite a while before his first WWF run had ended. I um I, I wouldn't put it I wouldn't put it on his return as as being that that point for me. It was um I, I dare say probably sometime after two thousand and two. Yeah, I'd guess obviously he, he came in hot in two thousand and one. I almost feel they like it feels like he kind they, of mentally quit after that Triple H fiasco. Well, that's it. They they, they didn't pull the trigger in two thousand and one. He was he was still credible in two thousand and two. Then when he loses to Triple H at Unforgiven. And by by the time you get to survive series, he's the first person eliminated from the chamber. And mm-hmm. I think at that point, yeah, you're right. I think he, he probably mentally quit then. And I, I'd argue pretty much from that point on. To me, he was stale. I mean, the, the in-ring side of things, he, yeah, he, he never he never evolved at any any point. And I, I I do think when he has the style that he has, that's so reliant on sort of the the, the roles and, and the the agility side of things. As he gets older and he can't do that it just doesn't come off well it does look like it's in slow motion um, the TNA stuff speaks for itself we don't need to go into detail about that but I, I think he mentally quit before TNA and I was I was bored of him uh, a good few years before that um, the one night stand pay-per-view was um, was more sort of a a, a f- bit of fleeting interest for me by uh, by that point uh, yeah, very similar. A um, couple of common themes. One, the TA effect uh, for a lot of guys. I think, yeah, I agree with you. For me, he was stale before then because I had no interest in him. Come my way to watch him in TNA. Although that fucking stuff with the title belt and the and the, the abyss was it? Abyss? Oh, that was hysterical. When oh a bit, when a bit, yeah. This is a classic TNA when he gets the Janice right, the two by four with nails in. Mm. Van Damme's champion. Abyss leaves him for dead, and he looked like he's just like running through a like bloody mess. He's all over the place. It's like something out of Saw. <laughs> he's just lying there covered in blood. They vacate the belt because Van Damme's too injured. And the the day that they crowned the new champion is also Rob Van Dam's return. So they didn't have a champion the entire time Van Dam was out, and they actually crowned one the day he's back anyway. What Dude. the fuck was the point in that? DNA, folks. Hey, oh. it sounds like tits and ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, mentally chicken out. That's I think that was a he lost a lot of his fire. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of symbiotic with the cry as well. He was he came in. He was hot. He was different. Um, he was somewhat up- upwardly mobile. And when that upward mobility obviously is obviously ceased, um, it has effect on both him, his his attitude, his performance, and his people's uh, perception of him and mm. interest in him. So, you know, twofold there: some on him, some on, not on him. Statistically, yeah, he as he slowed, 
it's pretty bad to watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for, uh, which is uh, at one point he was fucking super. Couldn't you know the stuff oh, with man. Jeff was oh, nice. Yeah, that's it. It's, 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 one of the big things that is coming kind of a recurring theme on this show, and it's actually I think it's, it's it's prevalent in wrestling today too. Is the whole thing about a wrestler's journey and like when they come it's like the journey that the, the character or the individual or whatever they're on whether it's their path up mobility or whether it's their, the evolution of what they're doing as a character once that stops as soon as it stops and obviously the act, if the actor stays the same that's like that's like game over for a lot of these guys that we're talking about today and, and there are countless ones I'm sure that we, we're not going to be able to get to throughout the course of the feedback and, and all the different message boards of guys who people once believed in because yeah, they, they were moving in a certain direction or they were doing something good and then when it just stops and it's like whether the interest is not there anymore uh, from, from the promotion or whether they themselves just kind of stick to what they know that pretty much seems like the uh, the turning point for a lot of guys yeah there's a few things I mean that's the natural I mean it, was it the the internal WWE WF policy at one point or belief within the, the industry that it takes 10 years to become a legit star oh that was Bischoff's horseshit yeah, absolute yeah. absolute horseshit yeah um, <laughs> Bischoff said that yeah that's why, that's, since, why, that's why guys like Hogan and Sam okay. yeah. sincerely Bill Goldberg <laughs> well that's why you that's the exception that proves the rule Carl <laughs> well <laughs> um, also with so much TV and so many acts and week in week out you've got it's acts doing their act week in week out mm. so the, the actual guys who are like the Lesnar effect who kind of feel real different and relevant when it's the same rinse repeat bullshit week in week out um, if you don't have that projection projection of upper mobility if you fall into that cycle um, you get the to a degree the Dolph effect the Van Damme effect um and then obviously that has a knock-on effect from the guys themselves, and so they don't put the effort in, and and that also that it's just you know self-perpetuating cycle. So yeah, um, and that's probably one, what a big common theme coming through. Um, and then actually they get to that point and they get released and then they get to TNA and the damage is done anyway. <laughs> and if it's not, they'll do the damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it 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 ties into this sort of the way the way TV is done now in comparison to the way that TV used to be done. And it's I, so and, fucking and then, slow yeah, now. And, and I and I, but I I accept that we're never going to go back to the way it was in the eighties and early nineties. Of you know, you would only see someone on TV sort of every two or three shows. For example, it would be, it would be a wrestling challenge here, an episode of Superstars the next week. Then you may not see him for a couple of weeks and what have you. I accept we're not going to go back to <clears> that. But now you have to to Kieran's point the oversaturation of people to where they think right we've got these same people in the same spots they're sort of oversaturated we need to create an environment where we can get more people involved so they go to the brand split my argument was always you don't need to have the brand split you just you could book yourselves in a situation where you don't have to have wrestler x on the show every week you know you can have them on say two roars out of the month as opposed to four or three out of as opposed to the four and it, it, the way in which the, the, the same people are portrayed in the same environments that 20 minute promo to open the show everything when you put that same person in that same position it's going to lead to apathy if not from the talent then from the fans mm -hmm. and you, you know you just you, you could just be more creative with the roster you have without having to go to a brand split notion I think it 
to me it's such a cop out yeah uh, that pretty much uh, we unfortunately are out of time so even though we do have uh, many more people to talk about uh, I want to thank everybody if you did make a contribution we had a few good ones that we didn't get to Kane got some nods uh, Brett, oh, Hart. What? Brett Hart got mentioned by Joanne Griggs on the Facebook page a few other people mentioned Brett in his curmudgeonly ways uh, Chris Jericho got a few mentions but, uh, but with the carryover we haven't been watching his recent stuff which I think kind of sums it up nicely for me uh, but yeah I don't know if there's any around the table that I've been mentioned that you want to uh, kind of touch on Kind of appalled that I had to sit through the character assassination with Fo- Foley and we didn't have time to get to Kane. Well, alright, fuck it. <laughs> we call it an audible. Ambulance Chase on the UK fan forum says, Boy, what a first impression. I remember watching Bad Blood thinking he ripped a steel door off. Uh, then he went on a path of rage and had a cracking feud with the Undertaker, culminating one of my favourite big man slugfests at Mania 14. Then after the stuff with Austin was good and he got the strap at King of the Ring in a respectable first blood match that unfortunately had to follow Mankind and Taker. Now, back then, uh, I was fucking bouncing off the walls when Austin won it back the next night, but in hindsight, surely Kane could have held that thing for a few months and Austin Chase. I always loved Austin on the chase a rebel with a cause more so than his champ anyway after that and into the 2000s was when I soured on him Katie Vick his unmasking the only thing I popped ball was when he said that fat hillbilly JR on fire <laughs> <laughs> look this comes back for shitting on your guys Carl say that Carl to put a cap on it, lately, whenever I hear him announce for a match or even hear that music, I break out in hives. I simply cannot stand to see him. It's go-away heat on an unimaginable scale. Sure, he's a safe worker and performs okay, but I want more. We should all want more. It's 2016 and he's still poncing around in that mask. The sooner he buggers off to the insurance game, the better. I want a WWE without Kane. Niall Clark on the Facebook page says, For me, it's Kane. As a kid, he was one of my favourite wrestlers. He was just so cool to me. Uh, Royal Rumble 2001 was my favourite Kane moment. He was awesome. Then he took his mask off in 2003 and it went to shit. He lost his mystique and it ruined the character for me. Uh, Mungo Chutney on the UK fan forum says, I was an absolutely massive fan from the debut up to the first unmasking. I still enjoyed his matches, especially against the more work-rate guys like Benoit, who had a great house show match within Manchester that I was at when Benoit had the world title. Since around 2006, he's just been a chore to watch and the reboot with the glove over the face finisher was terrible. Uh, Corporate Kane was actually a decent heel gimmick, but the flip-flopping with the mask and face heel dynamic killed that quickly. And uh, there's one more that I want to get to here if I can find it okay so Noid on TPWW form is back in what was it he said there's something humorous about it <laughs> Ken, uh, yeah, Noid on TPWW form says Kane has been consistent over his career as Luke Edwards once said consistently shit but you know what you're getting with Kane even for someone who still loves him it's surely getting long in the tooth time for a visit of Isaac Yankum's office to get it removed <laughs> so uh, there you go so Kane there you uh, go Carl like, like manna from heaven they uh, those individuals are unquestionably the emailers of the week I feel um <laughs> Kane's great house show match notwithstanding um, alleged <laughs> alleged great house show match in Manchester um, I was tired of him by the time we got past Wrestlemania that year my call too uh, after, after the match Wrestlemania 14 Wrestlemania 14 after the match after the match would take it I had no interest in Kane anymore he's long outlived his purpose the fact that he is still collecting a cheque is a crime against good business practices. I'll say, I will say, um, I'll go a little bit further actually, Highway to Hell. Yeah. Because I had no interest in him, but I was interested in the story, yeah. how he was going to affect Austin with the, the teaming up of the of these two brutes. Um, the I, ref- can't, I can't agree that he needs to hold the belt for a few months. I couldn't no. agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um <laughs> 
the Mania match for me that was my initial thought because that match I thought was terrible I was boring as fuck a hor- horrible hor- so that was like the nail in this interesting feud and it's like okay shit who cares irrelevant you know now you know what I was interested now I'm not Sp- Follow- followed up by a nice shitty Inferno match a month later I, I had erased that from my, my memory uh, this was the period before the Austin feud before the starts of the highway to hell so I wasn't interested regurgitated sorry so I regurgitated at Wrestlemania and then regenerated my interest for the highway to hell um, because of the Austin story and it was what's going to happen not him himself but then I was proved to not care uh, about anything Kane's in because he's fucking atrocious <laughs> <laughs> and as for my pick why wasn't Punk mentioned uh, he was not mentioned no. oh actually no that's a lie somebody did mention him and said that he was uh, Punk got it Hobbs on the FOW board Punk got real bitter towards wrestling and it's fans to some extent for me he went from being a cool character to laughing at and getting his ass kicked in MMA uh, so there you go yeah cool Carl any others no, no, I, uh, I, I feel suitably on an even keel now that uh, Kane has got his just rewards. I feel there's been uh, balance restored to the force. Oh, and Lex in '93. Stop celebrating the countout, Lex. <laughs> that, was him, that was doing the greatest hits of our previous opinions. Yeah. <laughs> With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to thank everybody for the feedback. Like we said, if we didn't get it to this time, we apologise. We just have run out of time. But next week here at Squared Circle Gazette Radio, like we said, the first ever review. So if you have watched the April 10th, 2000 Nitro, or we go back uh, and watch it on the WWE Network, give us your thoughts on this show at the time. In retrospect, what are your thoughts on this episode of Vince Russo's masterpiece? Theatre, and of course, the following week we're going to do a show covering the death of TNA. Don't forget that. So uh, we will be back with you next week for the review, the review, the new review. Which uh, I think just the review, yeah. hyphenated. Yes, the review it is for Carl Jones. Kieran, I defy you. Even though he was a grown man, how could you resist the temptation to celebrate a balloon drop? And for Kieran O'Rourke. Okay, uh, one more. Banks. Got <laughs> I am Liam O'Rourke and we are out of here. Talk to you next week, bro. <laughs>